0: Who's going to start from Katie McCabrant? Is it going to be near you, Emma? He knew he messed up the minute the whistle went because he went straight up to KEM. I don't know what he said. I should have started you. I don't think he said
1: that, but he should be saying. Subscribe that. to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. Paul Craven here in the National People of
0: Galway, we love you. I don't want to leave the people of Waterford, home, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Waterford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love me county, you know. We love John and, It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and Hurl and yep. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake, and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go.
2: Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling.
1: Welcome along to Episode 2 of Season 2 of the Hurling Pod. Tipperary have enjoyed their first victory at Kilkenny in the National Hurling League since 2008. Jason Ford scored one goal and 15 for the Premier at Nolan Park. Clare's wait for a win against Limerick has stretched out to five years after the All-Ireland champions put six points on their neighbours on Saturday night. Eight points from Declan Dalton and 2-3 from Conor Lahan helped Cork continue their impressive start with a four-point victory at Galway. Dublin had too much for Antrim at Parnell Park while Waterford and Wexford finished strongly in their games to see off pretty stubborn challenges from both Leash and Westmead. Line that James Scale and Paul Murphy are here with me. How are you getting on, lads?
2: How's it going, lads? Uh, Very good, all well. One of those
1: weekends, James, where... I think it was Liam Sheedy who said it after the game, the Limerick-Clear game felt like a six-point hammering. There were a few margins at the weekend that maybe didn't quite reflect the games themselves because of fightbacks during them. But I guess my takeaway from watching the game on Saturday, scale, was that... Limerick, even with some of their most important players in the stand and I take the point that Shane O'Donnell wasn't in with Clare and we saw um, Kelly up in the stands and they don't have Connell back just yet either but you look up into the stand and you see Declan Hannan sitting there with Will O'Donoghue you see that again the minutes are being carefully managed by Kylie when it comes to Hegarty and when it comes to Keane Lynch and some of their 20s from the last couple of years are just plugging into the system even without their free takers, no Burns, no Galan this Limerick train just seems to keep going
2: yeah, and to, to be honest, like when when you watch the game live, uh, you got an overriding feeling that Clare were just were just miles off Limerick. That Limerick were just playing around them. Like there was no contact on Limerick lads. There was, you know, an, an immersive amount of shots, which we've we've become accustomed to now with Limerick. Don't get me wrong, but uh, like it took I think it was eighteen or nineteen minutes for Clare's first score from play. Like Aidan McCarthy was just keeping them within touching distance, touching distance, and it was like you know nine points to one. Uh, in, in terms of points scored after 20-odd 20, 20 minutes like so. It was uh, it had the feel of about, you know, if you're watching a soccer game and a team is up 6-0 and another crowd gets three goals just to make it look better. That's the way it kind of looked. And I know when you watched it, George Canning had mentioned that he said that Brian Lohan would be very happy with the way Clare finished. Uh, no, no, he won't. He, he'd be disgusted with the first 50 minutes of the way that Clare performed. It just didn't look sharp. They looked quite lethargic. But in, in, the, in the opposite of that, it look very, very sharp. You know, and it looks so sharp that I and I mean this with respect now I don't mean this in a bad way um, your man was it, was it Hooligan that was taking the freeze yeah yeah. he potentially won't be the Limerick squad for championship that's kind of the the, the level of the calibre of players that Limerick have to come back like the, the guy who pops 12-13 you know, points in a game eight, 8 at half time that he might make the squad you know, so Limerick, Limerick I won't say they're building something they've built something but they look very very sharp on a Saturday evening and uh, clear a bit to do
1: Yeah, Paul, it was um, Colin Keyes, the journalist, tweeted after the game that he said, and I suppose these comparisons are always going to happen because the run that Limerick are on right now, but he said it reminded him of the Dublin footballers, where Limerick maybe need to find two or three players, or maybe they need to find just a different option to keep it fresh. But when they bring players in, it seems that the system is able to just keep continuing on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: that's really what every team and every county is trying to achieve. It's
0: trying to have this team that's really a well-rounded team with five or six players that during championship you can call in off the bench that are as good as the starters. But at the same time, looking at the longer game of every two and three years, reintroducing players into it. And even with that, you see how Limerick are doing it. Like, you know, likes of the Colin Cochlands and these who are, you know, getting their nose in just about maybe for championship, not quite there. And then another year comes and they're that bit better. And that's where Limerick are. And you can point to the likes of Dublin teams or even great Kerry teams before, or even the Kilkenny team of the late 2010s. You know, it's it's that kind of place. And it's the sweet spot that every everybody's looking for, you know, because John Kiley at the moment... You know he can. He has the luxury of putting these other players up in the stands to rest, stick and hand in these lads, while dangling a Limerick jersey in front of these younger lads who are mad for blood. You know, and just want to get on the team. So it's 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 ideal. But you know, when you look at the likes of players who don't have that depth of a panel, they're having to keep going to the well to try and put out these great performances. And that's for me. The big message came from you know uh, this game the other night it was just that. Clare needs so much to go right to achieve what they did last year, whereas Limerick can even afford a few things to go wrong and still go and win in All Ireland. And it's just that's just where they are, you know. But also with that, you know, we weren't talking with Clare this time last year. We weren't speaking about them um, reaching a the Munster final. So, you know, with the players to come back and the likes of McCarty and these lads there, you know, there is still Brian Noah knows he has to work. But Skell said it there. I mean, the first fifty minutes, like they weren't even in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, James, you look at this. It was very similar to the Cork game in that it was sixteen scores to eight at half time. In this case there was the Claire goal from Galvin, which brought them to one seven uh, by comparison to the eight points the Cork mm-hmm. had. The difference to last week though was that Limerick didn't let up after half time. Like I think after I think it was fifty six minutes into the game, they had twenty five points on the board. The game was effectively dead at that point. Yeah. Um, there was definitely a relentlessness that maybe wasn't there in Porky Queve the week before. Even in the space of a week, they stepped it up a bit.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think if like if if you talk to any sportsman, and even listen to the Super Bowl last night, where the losing quarterback says you either win or you learn, and I think when you look back at Limerick last week, that like they don't have to learn an awful lot. But I think if, anything they learned from last week was you know finish every game seventy minutes, go hammer and tongs for seventy minutes, and they look it was a mixture of Cork doing well last week and obviously Limerick taking the foot off the gas this morning, but they certainly didn't do it this weekend, and like they shot one twenty seven, I think it was, with again a whole host of wides. So they've got, um, they're just, they're spoiled. <laughs> to be honest, they're spoiled. They've got, you know, huge, big, strong men who can cover ground. Again, we saw the last day, Lynch, Houlihan, Hegarty. How many times do we see them behind their own? 65, 45, even further back. And then they can transition up so up so fast. They've got a fabulous hurling IQ, you know. And when you mix that with them, probably a management team who were... They're probably trying to find ways to keep it, I, I, I think fresh is probably the wrong word, but I, I do wonder for teams that get an awful lot of success, do they kind of stagnate a small bit? So he's probably trying to keep that rejuvenation in the panel. And when we spoke about the youth, like we haven't even seen Colin O'Neill this year. We haven't seen Aaron Galan, but we've seen Hulan, We've seen, you know, Adam English. You know, David Reedy's making a bit, a bit more of an impact, you could say, so... Like they're they're they've got a plethora of guys that, that can take a position, and when when that happens, you've got loads of guys pushing. You've got rejuvenation in a team, and then ultimately you've got you've got thirty thirty five guys heading in the one direction. So they're like they're a dangerous animal. We all know that. And they're as when we when we refer to our power rankings later on, they're number one and number one by by a, a large margin.
1: Yeah, like the thing about it is what Murph when it comes to some of the roles here. So again, Kyle Hayes was from a deeper position, and he was getting forward, and he got three points during the game. I couldn't help but note with Hegarty's role as well That maybe he's been influenced that Right, we're not going to puck the ball in quite as much as they did before But Hegarty now has the freedom to come back out a bit if he feels like it He can go a bit further forward if he wants And like he was incredibly effective uh, throughout the game Yeah, he was And it's it's interesting even seeing, like you're saying, uh, <clears throat> Kyle Hayes Like
0: You just don't know of a given day where John Kylie might actually play Kyle Hayes But the luxury that he has is You think it likes himself and Geroad Hegarty, the two lads you mentioned there. And I'd say John Kiley just says to Geroad Hegarty, you go where you want, you're you're a smart player, do what you want. And inevitably, every team will have somebody trying to follow Geroad Hegarty. And I say trying to follow him there because he finds the space. But when he he creates space then for the likes of Kyle Hazenby to go running then straight down because people presume it's going to be Hegarty coming at us. Hegarty can come deep then out towards midfield, out towards a half-back line. Suddenly there's space. And now what we see the other night is Keen Lynch standing there being the playmaker, popping the ball because everybody's distracted by Keen Lynch as well. That He's back now and he's winning ball. So there's just this, there's so many angles here that teams are having to deal with and you have to be so smart to deal with them because if you think you want to go out and you're going to mark the road, Hegarty and if we keep him quiet, Limerick are quiet. Not at all. Like you're going to have the likes of Kyle Hazel, these lads shooting through and then, uh, particularly Keen Lynch, when you see him the other night, just what he brings to that forward line. And another fellow we didn't even mention, I mean, Peter Casey back the other night. And the one thing I often think of him is just the tackling he brings. Like, he's probably the best tackling forward that they have, which is no insult to the rest of him. He's just really good at it and loves that work. And he got through a huge amount of it. And we all look at the scoreboard and see all the great scores that went up. But look at the amount of balls that he just broke up and just stopped. You know, not letting Claire come out with it, even if it's this flick that I get and I don't win the ball but another player wins it. This un, you know, this tankless work that gets through the likes of him then working away so you could look at any corner really of this Limerick team and just go look at how exceptional each player like what they just bring to that team and um, Hegarty's role at the moment it very much just seems to be that go where you want to go, create that space, use your brain and he just pops up then and just when you think he might be in the game he just pops back in and yeah. gets on a run you know so he's just I mean, he he has
2: the freedom of the pitch, and he's just so dangerous when he's like that. And like, I think more, I think he plays centre back for his club, St Patrick's. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you can take, you can take, uh, I, I be I, I, mean this now. You can take the six forwards in Limerick and put them in the six backs, mm. and they will be comfortable. That's the thing you see. In an awful lot of countries, you can take the forwards and bring them back to the fin, but they wouldn't be comfortable in a, yeah. a systematic perspective. If that makes sense. Yeah that's why you've got the the Barry Nash the the Kyle Hayes these guys are just and Han where did he start for Limerick was a yeah. full, full forward into forward the forward yeah Which so, English as well sure yeah so their their hurling IQ is just above everybody else you know and yeah. they can play anywhere in the 15 spots even Nicky Cuellar was playing made his debut in midfield yeah in 2010 yeah. versus Galway and I think he plays outfield field for FF maybe not yeah. now we get a bit older but you know they just they have um natural stickmen that can play anywhere
0: mm. and there's an understanding there as well between the players like you see some of the scores that they got It was the the goal as well. Where just flick over the shoulder and a clean one through. But that those passes can only come when there's an understanding that as you're about to get to the ball, you know there's someone running off the shoulder. And like even though it looks like chaos at times, the Limerick players know what's happening and they know there's always a support runner. And that's another thing. How do you deal with that? You know, even when you think it's chaos on the pitch, it's not. They know what's happening.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I found, James, particularly in the second half. All right, there was a lot of long shooting from Limerick, and maybe without Galland posting himself in close to the square, they're less likely to let the ball in long as maybe they did last year. But they were consistently looking to work it. And even if that means that they're in tight spaces... Inside their own half, you can argue maybe about the legitimacy of some of the hand passes. It definitely felt like uh, they're not being clamped on as much as they were last year. I saw definitely some of the last year. True, last year drew last or, year, well, it's not
2: anymore. See, oh you well, know, you, that, that was the PC way of explaining it. I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll say at the country way. Right?
1: On, you the country. I don't want to be hounded for this. So you go the, on.
2: The hand pass has gone to shite again. Okay, because, because last year it was the the big topic. That every ref was putting it two, three times a game. It's just gone now. Yeah. and I mean this, I, I, he's a fabulous player but Keane Lynch was throwing the ball he's just throwing it popping it out like you know and it, it happened in, in a number of games I saw over the weekend so to just to start off to answer your question hand passes <laughs> it gone it's <laughs> out the door yeah we made ways just get rid of it like you know um, but to answer your question particularly in the first half when the game was, was still you know of high energy and kind of intense you could say um, Limerick were just so comfortable but it's their executioners I know we keep saying you can, you can have all the systems in, in the world and you can have all the tactics and all the, the training done but they execute at such a high level that Claire couldn't touch them you know it was like you you get a sense at times that Limerick would have 20 guys to the pitch and Claire at 15 because they were able to work you know uh, the ball so well and they, what they did so well is, what I noticed is when Claire would press them they would use the Claire press to get around them if that makes sense so clear would press up, next thing they pop a ball this way, another way, and next thing the two clear defenders are just gone. Because so they, so they, they bring on the press, then they play triangles around you, and next thing you know, they're gone again. They just do it so well and so efficiently. And it's because, obviously, they've trained at a very, very high level, but the level of player they have, I keep referring to it, it's just so high that they can execute this game plan under intense pressure. And I I do believe if you had two, three extra, honestly, hand and heart, two, three extra clear guys on the pitch, they'd still be able to execute at a serious high level that you wouldn't think they'd miss a beat.
1: And how disappointed, Murph, would Clare be with the lack of scores from play? Because they go from minute 19 to minute 54 without scoring from play. Like They were so reliant on the Aidan McCarty freeze to just keep the scoreboard ticking over at all. Now, they score 1-5 late on. And look, they look dangerous with some of the ball that they put in and really took his goal particularly well when he got in behind. But aside from that, there's a whole half an hour that goes by there where Clare are not even threatening from play.
0: Yeah, exactly. And there's a few indicators and we often, you know, we we look for them here when we're going, well, what's a sign that a team aren't being creative? And last week we were talking about Galway and Wexford and, you know, Wexford just not responding to Galway when they knocked over 10 points. Similar enough here, you know, Clare had to recognise we're not scoring from play here. We need to at least be creating the chances. And even if Brian Lohan after this game looked back and he said, you know what, you didn't score for five minutes there, but then we got a score and, you know, all these different things. But to go that period without scoring for play, there's something there. And now it is like, I mean, he'll be able to identify it fairly easily in terms of, look, we weren't supporting in the play, you know, when a player was taking a shot from a wrong angle. He can look at it in many different ways, but regardless, that's too long of a period. If you think you're going to be competitive and do that, you, of course you can't. And, and I don't think anybody would think that, but certainly, Brian Lohan will be looking at that going, I need the answers I need to find as to why we were so flat or why we weren't creative. He could find it in that period. Because if you're not scoring for play there, I mean, there's there's obviously a good few things wrong. And I think Brian Lowen and the Clare lads would even be a little bit happier if, okay, we Limerick were just better than us and we were creating chances and maybe we didn't take a few. But something like that, you just can't you can't forgive, you know. So I think the likes of Brian in management, they'll look at that period and just say... What did we do wrong or what what didn't we do that we couldn't score from play during this period? And to be relying on freeze during that time, um, you know, it's just unforgivable. You can't do it against a team like Limerick.
1: Yeah, because James, you said last week, I wrote it down the sheet here. It's about performance for Clare as opposed to a result, because last year they pushed Limerick on three different occasions, went extra time, didn't go over the line in the Munster Championship, but got a draw in the league and took a draw in the round robin section. So they've proven That when both teams are at their best, they're able to go toe to toe against Limerick. But is there a concern about Clare that maybe Limerick feel like they're a bit further ahead of them this season already?
2: Yeah, I think like you're looking for. So obviously when they played last year in the championship, that was the best effort of both teams. And Clare obviously they've shown they can match them. So now is you're looking to see can Clare grow? Can they can they take another step forward? And that would be by introducing new new panel members, more players to try and achieve more positive results than they had in the semi final last year. And then the answer like, from, from the weekend just gone was, well, not yet. You know, not yet. And, and they did it, as, we, as you mentioned earlier, with, with a limited team that were missing a good lot of their starters. So the result is one thing, you know, but the manner of result is, is a different thing entirely. So the manner of result is the performance. And judging by what we saw on Saturday, the performance was, was pretty poor. Like, but again, we, we, we'd often talk about during the league campaigns, we don't know what uh, level of training clear are doing like at the train of one night, two nights, are they, were they aiming for this game? Like, were they actually up for it and looking for a win? Part of me would think no because they, they seemed kind of to be quite lethargic in, the, in their uh, in the energy levels. That, like, Limerick, to be honest, dominated every single facet, whether it be the physical play, physical play tackling, ball control, aerial ball, rooks, breaks, body language, all of it. All of it. Every, every bit of it, Limerick dominated it all. So, I'd, I'd say <clears throat> from Brian Lohan, he, he learned probably more about some of the individuals he has as opposed to where Clare are going, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it it is difficult to judge, Murph, on this because we were chatting a bit earlier on, you look at the amount of players who played Fitzgibbon midweek and may well have had heavy involvement with their county the week before. To go out and play three important games in pretty quick succession before this little break for the rest of the Fitzgibbon, which is coming up now, there's a heavy workload in quite a few of these young players who are trying to impress at the early stages of the league here. There
0: is, and, and that's the thing, like those players
1: will never tell you they don't want to
0: play because, um, for some of them, it's their opportunity, you know, to maybe go and grab a jersey for, for the championship. So, for lots of these players, you know, even if they have a little bit of an eagle or the legs are feeling a bit tired, like you know, and young players, you, you, you might be just tired and that might be it, but for an older player, you just wouldn't be able to tolerate that workload. Um, but for these lads, it's very hard to say no. Um, but going out there and playing three big matches, and one of them being Limerick that's not easy to do, you know, and I'd have sympathy for players with that because the schedule at the moment, you know, we're coming off the back of weekends of seeing hurling results and we're seeing midweek results in in Fitzgibbon and it's, you know, I don't envy them at all um, and you have to admire them in many ways that they're, they're still trying to go and do it but, it's unrealistic as well to expect players to go out and put in an unbelievable performance of a Wednesday night um, and then go out of a Sunday morning or a Saturday evening and, and perform to those levels again. Not sustainable and not sustainable against players also. They might have three or four more years conditioning under their belts. So there's lots of things there that make it very tough on these Fitzgibbon players. But look, certainly I, I don't envy the position they're in to try and sustain this level of um, playing matches, not, not even week on week. It's every few days.
1: Yeah I was just thinking Skell, like Evan Nyland particularly say put in a lot of minutes over the last week Like where he was very crucial for his college midweek yeah. And also was the free taker and the main man for Galway in the first two games of the league Like that's a lot of workload on him at this time of year
2: Yeah I, I think during the week he scored something like 12 points for NUIG uh, Was that Wednesday or Thursday?
1: I think it was on Wednesday Yeah afternoon, and then yeah.
2: he came along and he played uh, 66 minutes yesterday on, let's be honest, a hard, tough, heavy ground. Like, the Pierce Stadium ground didn't look hectic, Now, to be honest. So it's not as if we're talking about they're, they're, they're playing in the, in the height of summer. They're in tough ground conditions. And it's hard for him because, like, you know, he's in, he plays in a position, uh, particularly in the half-forward line midfield, where there's an awful lot of mileage covered, you know, an awful lot of intensity in terms of tackling a look ball. So his legs must be heavy. And, and like, I don't know if you don't mind me saying this, but yesterday for portions of the game, it looked that way. You know, maybe that, you're trying, Maybe it's, it's it's best for the for the guy himself if you save him from himself and just 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 give him a break, give him a rest off. You know. Now I know there's two weeks to, two weeks uh, of a break you could say, but again, this break period, what are the county teams going to do? Probably just going to put in a, a serious workload and try to get some mileage built up. And when you when you look at Evan in particular, Galway are playing um, Limerick in the next round in two weeks, so there'll be intense preparation for that because you don't you don't want to do. I, Despite despite what people say about the league and they say about the effectiveness, and you know what, you don't want to lose two games in a row, and you certainly don't want to lose to to a Limerick team coming to town. So, I'd say there'll be a big shift in two weeks. So, um, it's just, it just needs to be monitored, like it's tough on the guys, but again, as Morph said, like the, if you ask a fellow, Do you want to play? He's always going to say yes, unless he gets over 27 28 years of age, then he might start thinking differently. But <laughs> you know, if you're Anthony from like 19 to 23, you're obviously going to say yes, you want to play every single game because some of the guys may be worried about their position on the panel. So they, they may feel like they, they, they're they obligated or they have to make an impression to 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 stake their claim, you know. Um, and again, Evan's going to be an important player for the Championship for Galway. So like he just needs to be monitored and minded, in my opinion.
1: And maybe as well, James, if Conor Cooney was available right now and if he'd been able to play yesterday, maybe that changes Henry Shefflin's thinking about playing in Ireland.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like Conor Cooney has had a lot... Like, I know we're talking about Evan has had a, a long month, you could say, but Conor Cooney has had a long... Five or six years, because you know Thomases have won, I don't know, four or five or counter titles. They've always been in operation with Galway and Thomases from January right through to December. Like so, he's, I think he's probably been given enough <clears throat> has to be has to be given enough time to, to recuperate. Because again, the more than I just said about Evan, he's an extremely important player for Galway, um, one of our best forwards. So that's the reason you see Evan, you know, taking so many minutes on on the pitch. But you could, maybe it offers up a different opportunity for someone else. Like I didn't think wholeten was going to be taking the freeze for Limerick at the weekend, but there he was. So, like, let's see if you know Liam Collins can take them or Gavin Lee or, or these lads, and, and just use the league as a platform to see can they can they uh, execute under pressure.
1: Right, James. Let's let's go to Salt Hill next then, because this is um, Cork. I had a feeling you weren't going to enjoy. It. And look, put this way, Murph's not going to enjoy when we talk about. Hang on, my wife is going.
2: My wi is going. I gotta go. <laughs>
1: And the first half of Nolan Park Of the weekend That's not going to be nice for him So that's like a trip To the dentist chair Coming up for him as well But yeah. um, this is a score fest uh, Galway three twenty-two, Cork four twenty-four. Cork have got a real feeling For goals It would seem And mm. that proved the difference Between the sides But like Galway went really well Early in this game Their first 17 shots On target 15 of them go between the posts yeah. And they were 5 points up uh, Inside I think the first 15-16 minutes of the game yeah. So, so yeah. what changed after that Because Galway got the ideal start here
2: um, well, I think two things happened. So, number one, I think uh, Goey didn't keep the foot in the throat heavy enough in the first half. Like, they were they were in the ascendancy for a good lot of the first half, but Cork kept getting these these easy scores, you know. Like, I love to see it. If a team scores against you, you want to make them really work for it. Really, really work for it. So, it, it, so it feels like, you know, a chore to score against you. And it just... They were popping up, you know, what handy points. Declan Dalton got a couple on the terrace side. The, the, the first goal, you know, rule number one rule number one in the half back line is don't let through your half back line from puck out. You know, the ball has to be stopped there. You cannot let that because if you let the ball through your half back line, that's a serious platform for the opposition. And that was just an easy goal to, to concede. That was the first thing. So we went in at half time uh, level. Um, with a great scoring efficiency, as you said, like we're up on 74% in the first half. It was brilliant, I have to say. Then the second half, there was five minutes there of a period where we conceded 2-3 and there was a sending off in the middle of it. And it was a bit chaotic because I didn't realise Urshan Samad got sent off for a minute or two. And in that minute or two, Cork scored 1-1. One, one. So at that stage, you go from being level to being eight points down uh, on a flick of a switch. And then it just became... You know, the, the harder you try the worse you do. So <laughs> I think that was the case it was. The more the guys tried, the more it just didn't didn't go well for them. And in fairness to Cork, look, we've 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 stood here, sat here on this podcast and questioned their intensity. We've questioned their tackling. We've questioned their willingness to get involved in in, in a difficult, difficult ball on the ground and in the air. And they did all that yesterday. There was a score yesterday that Declan Dalton finished. It put Cork uh, it was them to go from three seventeen to three eighteen is where they turned over Darren Morrissey and it was a lovely score. They just hassled him and hassled him uh he thought he was away, turned him over, clicked to Dalton over the bear. And that for a defence is kind of soul destroying, to be honest. When you get turned over coming out, uh it's very difficult. But look, the sending off had a big part to play in it, but it definitely wasn't uh it wasn't the the, the meaning of the result. And you were talked about the start there Will about the uh, about Clare and Limerick. This wasn't a five point loss, to be honest. This was a, a ten point loss. truth if truth be told, it was it was nine ten point loss. And Cork were For what they produced in minute 35 to minute 75, they were full merit for their victory.
1: Mm. Paul, that's two good second half performances in a row from Cork. And a few people said in the comments last week that we were being far too sweet on both Cork and Dublin. And we can address Dublin's performance maybe a little bit later on. But I don't know. I mean, it's with the evidence that we have in front of us. And we will always preface everything by saying, I know it's early in the league. But for me, this is two good displays from Cork back to back. It
0: is, yeah, and like you know, two really good challenges there. You know, you're playing Limerick uh, in Parky Cleave and then you're playing, you're going up to Galway, to playing them up in in, in their backyard, and it's not simple, you know. And just goes back to what we spoke about last week, and they just they just compounded it, you know, as in their tackling, their tackling when they didn't have the ball, they were just going hounded. You could see the numbers, and it was something I was looking for around the pitch, not just let's say for the man in possession, but the numbers of Cork players getting back, and that to me shows an eagerness and it shows an aggression there, and. But they just weren't willing. They were. They seemed to enjoy it. It wasn't a, a burden for them. They were just getting back. Were tackling, and then they were very decisive as well going forward. And something you know we'll talk about about you know Kenny being indecisive as well in Nolan Park. But you know Park were just decisive. They knew what they were going at. And like we said, you know when, when Galway get a man sent off straight away, usually sometimes we often see the team that has the extra man drops their work rate. You know we often see it. Cork it, if anything. They said we're going to put our foot on the gas here now and push on Lehan's goal Then and it's just. I was just looking at it going, yeah, this is the cork that we associate, you know, full of confidence, up in your face. When you're down, they'll they'll cut you down even further again. And like we're not getting ahead of ourselves. It's two games in. and um, last week we were tempering everything we said, we're not getting ahead of ourselves. But there was indications there of the things that we would have been critical of cork before. Um, where they seem to have improved, you know, and they're like we said, they're tackling hard, they're working really hard as a group. Granted, they still want to do the nice things of popping the ball around the place, but you know when the goal is on, they're going at goal and they're they're creating space for like Lee Hand to run behind, and they're a very aggressive team at the moment. So look, yeah, we're only two two games in, not getting ahead of ourselves, but what Cork are showing us is, is is really
1: good. A lot to be said, Paul, for drive within individuals when they're coming in this time of year too. Declan Dalton was left out of the panel last season, and then he got back in and got a chance to impress in the Monster Hurling League before the league came round. I thought he was an effective weapon against Limerick last week. Scored eight points in the game against Galway the weekend just gone by. This is a guy who's come in with a point to prove. And if you're going to lose Carlan and Horgan to injuries ahead of the game, you want someone like Dalton to be able to step up and make an impression. Yeah, and you're right. He has been around
0: the panel for a few years now as well. And, you know, we've seen him, we've we've seen him what he's capable of in, in previous games, but maybe the consistency wasn't there. But he gave a good interview as well after the game, you know, and he seemed to be really confident in where he's at at the moment. He seemed to be, you know, confident where the Cork team are at as well and spoke really well, to be honest. Um, But it gave a good insight to see where he was. You know, he was just talking very straight that, you know, there are they, they, they know they have work to do, they know, like, you know, at this time of the year, there's lads out trying to grab jerseys and that they're really enjoying it. And There seems to be a good buzz around the place, maybe the changeover in management, just, you know, we always there's always that bit of freshness as well and it's an opportunity for other players to maybe grab a jersey. But, you know, he spoke well after the game and he kind of, I suppose, gave a bit of insight into, you know, he's maybe grown over the last few years of especially being left off the panel and things and now he has an opportunity and he, he's definitely a player that's taken it. So... It's great for Park to have the likes of those lads coming through and putting pressure on probably lads who have established themselves in the team over the last few years. But you know, if this lad keeps up his form, Park will have a small bit of a headache when it comes to championship in terms of who are their starting six. Which is, you know, it's exactly what
1: Pat Ryan wants. Skell, what have we learned about Galway so far? I mean, Wexford, I think it was fair to say, were pretty poor on the first round of the league, but Galway had a good run through the Walsh Cup. I've been trying lads out. I believe most of Saint Thomas' guys are going to be back probably after the break, and maybe they come in and reinforce things for the the Limerick game. And even David Burke was talking about the fact um, he did an interview with the Backdoor GA podcast last week. He was saying he's maybe two or three weeks away, so he's coming close to coming back in. What have you learned about this Galway team? I know what all the changes they've had to make over the first two weeks. Then,
2: yeah, I, I, I so a couple of a couple of points. where well, I think Galway have a good squad to be honest. I think they've a lot. They're like from one to thirty. I do think they've the bones of a good squad. I also think they've trained hard. You know, in the last week since since the Wexford game, um, I'd say they're using the league as kind of a, a semi-platform A to get games into people and, and two, to put in a good training block. Um, the only thing that would concern me is, I suppose, coming out yesterday, it would be we conceded four twenty four, and I can't off-memory remember when we conceded that much. Now, I understand there was a guy sent off, I get that, but I'm still looking at the squad and I'm thinking, geez we had like five of those backs... That pledge yesterday, like we're playing against Limerick, you know, four of them in the backs and one, one wing forward. So, like, it's not as if we have 10 guys to come back into the team, you know, whereby we're going to completely, to, the complexion of the team is going to be way different. Um, it just looked like the guys were tired and, and a bit lethargic yesterday. So, I'm not overly concerned. The concession rate is one issue that I, I would have that, that's far too much. And I think that'll be fixed in, in days going forward. Um, learning, I wouldn't quite call it quite learning, but very concerning is uh, Kohan Mangan's injury. You know, if we're going to go places, you know, we need Cahill Mannion at, <clears throat> at, at 100%, 110%. And he was just coming back from a hamstring injury and it looks like it's been, you know, re-damaged again yesterday. Um, so that's concerning because if we're going to challenge Limerick, we need everybody, you know. And it's just like, if I would equate that now, to hand in heart, if we lose Cahill Mannion, I would equate it to, you know, Kilkini losing TJ. I know I'm not saying they're the same player but I'm saying their, their, their input and their effectiveness to the team that's how important they are so I'm hoping that he comes right because like you mentioned a few minutes ago the round of games comes so fast between league and, and, and championship that recovery time just isn't there like it, like, it, like it has been in the future and I here I am now I was a big champion of the, the compressed season because it was it was fair to everyone and here I'm looking at Cahill Manning going shit we, we need him back ASAP and he's potentially out for 6 to 8 weeks you know in 8 weeks now you don't feel it may come along very fast, so I didn't learn an awful lot, to be honest. You know, I, I, I'm not concerned. If you ask me this in a month's time, when we're we near the end of the league, you know, and we put in that performance, I'd be far more concerned. You know, cause there's still time to fix everything.
1: Get Paul's evaluation of Galway in a second, but just 91 9180 was in contact on the Instagram stories earlier today, and he was asking, uh, should Declan Dalton have been sent off scale? So you, you're the Galway rep here, so you can give a very fair opinion on this.
2: Yeah, like I look. First of all, like when I have to say, like I don't like soft shite on a hurdle pitch you know what I mean so like I hate to see I hate to see lads going down holding their face or whatever when they haven't been touched or you're know, injury trying to buy to buy something right was the I contact do, with the face I will see you if, to the, if you were looking okay. <laughs> I don't think it was to be honest right I think it was kind of the top of the shoulder and maybe clipped the bottom of the face guard I think that if you were to ask me truthfully 95% of the force was probably the shoulder and maybe 5% was maybe an after and after that so I don't think it was sending off at all I think in fairness it was, you know, it was a bit look, aggressive. We all do it from time to time. But was it, did it warrant a red card? Absolutely not. You know, I say, God, I just got it in maybe the shoulder next next section. So it wasn't, uh, if you were to look at something similar, you'd say Bennett's red card against Dublin last week. Bennett clearly caught, uh, it came from the Dublin player, excuse me, in the face last week, right in front of the Lions. And so I think he deserved what he got. Um, whereas in this instance, Declan deserved what he got also in just the yellow.
1: All right. Galway impression for you then, Murph? So far, what have you made after two games? Yeah, look, I mean, Galway,
0: Galway are in a good pace still at the moment. Like they're they're learning, they're improving, and we're always looking for teams that are showing sparks of oh, what, what could they do this year? But not every team are going to show that yet. They had a good performance last week, and like you know, last week we were sitting here talking about you know there was no problems with Galway, it was Wexford. But maybe it's just at this stage, Cork are really ticking well that they exposed Galway for a few weaknesses they have at the moment and just got around them. Galway will also be looking to see, look, if we do go down a man, what do we do and react there? And that's something important for a team to have as well, because um, if, if you have no response for when you go down by a player as to how we're going to set up and teams are just going to, like, the inevitable is just going to happen and the other team is just going to ramp home, you know, it's not a great place to be, but... You know, I wouldn't have huge concerns at the moment uh, for Galway. I think they'd like to get a few more of the experienced players back again, just to, I suppose, give that bit of stability to the main team. But I think Galway do have a strong panel at the moment. Um, it's just a matter of getting all the players onto the pitch. Um, they, they don't think, they, they obviously don't know their, their, their best 15 yet, but I wouldn't have much concerns for Galway. Again, this is one game where Cork are really well, and Cork are taking over really well at the moment. So Look, they can be disappointed in good few parts of the game from the weekend, and like James had said, like you know, they conceded quite a bit, but they performed really well last week as well. So at the moment, the jury is very much out on Galway, and I wouldn't be concerned at any stage because you know teams could just have you know off off weekends in, in the league at the moment. So I wouldn't be wouldn't be concerned from a Galway point of view.
1: Mm-hmm. And Skell, one last one on Galway: How important is this game against Limerick, which is coming up now? Because I kind of got the feeling last year going down to Limerick's own turf, turning them over. Even though it was second round of the league, I think last year when they met, it still felt like a really important result for Galway. Is it as important to beat them this year again?
2: I don't think so. Will. I, I, I think Galway have played Limerick enough times now since 2017. Even you know between league and championship that we like we know what Limerick are going to produce. I think it's more about you know finding yourself. Like uh, we came up short against Limerick last year. Came up short against uh, Limerick in 2020 and also in 2018, obviously. So it's like we have to find something. So that that comes from using players in intense situations. So like I'd like to see you know, if we put out our strongest fifteen against Limerick, I'd be disappointed, to be honest. I want to see a strong ten or eleven and then put in four guys who you think and potentially you could use in a championship game. So like you you could I'd like to see the Gavin Lees go in, the, the Liam Collins is the you know, the uh, again Ocean Salmons again. Let's see what they're made of. Can they when they when they face Limerick, uh the top top players, the hackers, the Lynch, etc. What 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 can they produce? And again, a bit like I said about Clare, if we do go that route and we use, let's say, a two-thirds starters and one-third non-starters or against Limerick, and we get beaten, it'll be the manner in which we get beaten. If we do get beaten, that I'd be looking for. I want to see a performance first and foremost for, for guys who can add the championship. That's all I'm looking towards. Mm.
1: Paul, comment coming in from Caveman Dan99, which is a great name. And Good awesome. name, man. excellent. Yeah, and standard of league hurling which is a very, like a very wide point which has been made here right <laughs> now, there was a few games of the weekend which I thought were a little bit of a disappointment because I was hoping they were going to be more competitive so that's one thing Mm-hmm. on the other hand there was loads of really good individual skill at the weekend there was yeah. the hegarty ball that he slapped into the ground in like a huge bunch of players and somehow he manages to emerge with the ball which would have been a fantastic skill if that had happened in crow park in the middle of the summer there was the picky flick uh, from Leisha's picky mar as well i don't know yeah. if you saw this one where he realized he couldn't catch it again next thing he went whoop and he flicked yeah. the ball over caught it and then crucially put it back over the bar after he caught it in his hurl like there was a few kind of lovely moments like that You are probably getting to the point where things aren't quite kicking in for teams so far but i didn't have any great issue with the standard of the games we saw last weekend aside from say some of the margins we might see
0: yeah like last week i was expecting the standard to be a lot poorer than what it was i was actually surprised to see where teams were at i think actually what contributed to that last week was the quality of the pitches you know often I suppose when Seth and Scal would have played league matches years ago, and very big pitches were quite heavy, and and teams got dragged into these you know battles where the ball wouldn't come yeah, out of a rope we, for ten minutes.
2: We, we were heavy too, them
0: yeah, We were heavy. <laughs> we hurry. were heavy as well. <laughs> There's no such thing as players' winter anymore, which is a bad thing. Yeah. But. Um,
2: no, like, I
0: I think what you can look at that, the standard league hurling, I actually think it's really good. Like, if you even look at Dublin and Antrim um, at the weekend, like, uh, you know, and particularly Antrim as well, like, to give them credit, like, they're moving the ball really well and they're really sharp, but you can expect the teams are going to send passes astray, lads are going to miss touches, but I think the overall standard is actually really good. I think the other thing you're going to see as well is those games, like you said, where you build yourself up to go, this is going to be a great game. Kenny Tipperary, probably, like the epitome of that at the weekend, and suddenly you walk away with a big question mark over going, what was that like? You know, That was terrible. <laughs> that's not what we expected. Um, but that's just the nature of it. It's the nature of League Ireland. Some, we, some teams, or some weeks, teams will just come and it's flat and you don't know why it's flat, but there's such heavy training going on that it maybe just doesn't happen for teams on certain weekends. But then there's other games where, you know, the skill is is absolutely excellent, but I think where it is at the moment, um, the quality of skill uh, in the league, I think it's far beyond where it used to be. Like if you look at most games now, for example, and it's a very small point and it's not a point to judge all league games on, but this skill, the John Try skill that you would have called before, popping the ball back into the hand, that's nearly happening in every match you watch now on both sides, like and the likes of picky matter scored a great point at weekend where again i was i don't know is that the same one you were saying will where he went and he dummied it and came back on himself and maybe it's a different one no it's but, the same one it
1: was an unbelie- unbelievable piece of skill it was actually great i think skill, i saw yeah, someone um, one of the local photographers paul dargan who i'm going to give credit on this one he actually was perfectly positioned right so he got a snapshot of it like he basically had his camera on a continual shutter And he was able to make a gif of it where he was able to just kind of get frame by frame, piggy flicking the ball over and then just catching it perfectly on the other side. So, yeah, Yeah. it was a magic piece of skill.
0: Yeah, magic And I, I my claim to fame Is Picky Mara Put in the kitchen That you see me on here now So He's a good a craftsman On the pitch And in the kitchen So <laughs> But no there is I think the standard Look I think He's he, dear like, though He's dear
1: Jeez he's pricey Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to get him calling On a Monday as well yeah, I'll apologize uh, Handling kitchens Getting a free shout out In the pod But there you go <laughs> but, but tell uh, me Murph
2: what, what, what do people want Like from the league it's Like, I, I, I look at Twitter And they're all Giving out about the league like, it's, like, it's like they want A championship style match In February
0: yeah, I think uh, I mean, this is it. Like pe- people want, we have the league back, or oh, Limerick are going to be playing more for the weekend, and they want fireworks. But you know yourself, you just don't get that. I think managing expectations is is the big thing with the league, and you can say yeah. that for hurling or football or camogie or anything. It's just you know teams are not peaking, and if your team is peaking at the moment, I'd nearly be concerned. You know, yeah. if te- you want your team to be probably firing at about eighty percent, and you can see the margins where they need to improve in. Like that's what the actually the desirable place for your team at the moment. Um, but I think some people just need to manage the expectations of thinking that each team, every weekend we go about, no matter where you look, you're going to see an excellent game. But teams are just going to have off games. Games will get dragged into kind of just dirty battles, really, and small margins win the game. But unfortunately like if you commit to a game at the weekend and you're disappointed with the performance that's just the nature of this league and it, it, I'd like to think it, it may never change because it's the championship is where you want teams peaking and really going well yeah. and the more teams peaking for championship well that's what we want
1: Yeah. Even scale when things were different like when there was the gap between the league and championship and I appreciate it feels a little bit different now because it's a league into a league and all that but would there ever been a year with Galway where you were almost concerned that it felt like you were going too well early on in the year?
2: Um, no, i to be honest with you, it would always be the other way. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, she's not going well enough, you know, because <laughs> so like like that, like I are, I think in nowadays you only ever get kind of parity of effort in May, June, July, when when you know the same teams are put in the same kind of training loads and they're not they're not killing themselves each week. Whereas now there's like Galway could have trained four times last week and Cork could have trained twice. We don't know. You know we don't know at all. But in years previous, where like say say, and I will say the league was more competitive because pre- there was a relegation. I think it's a it's a huge safety net. And if you were to ask me, does this need to be looked at, I think it does. Um in the sense that when the when the top teams, let's call them that, let's call the top eight, know that they're by in, in truth, not going to get relegated. That allows, I suppose, a freedom for for the managers to 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 pick and choose teams and, and utilize certain players that mightn't have got a chance when there was relegation because it was doggy dog. Where so, so when I was playing, it was always that more fought and We were always kind of, I won't say concerned relegation. You wanted to finish top and get out of that that zone, that area where potentially you could be relegated. So that means you had to, you know, really go a bit a bit harder than than what you uh, what you'd have, you'd have liked if, if if you know what I mean. Mm. Whereas nowadays, they construction to the championship accordingly.
1: Mm. Murph, did you find that over the years as well that it was always a case of right? We got to try and taper the year in. Was there ever a time you thought, "Geez, maybe we're going a bit too hard at this early in the year? Or how did the league sit with you? Um, I don't
0: think us as players ever really overthought it. Um, We would have been kind of in the position, certainly when I joined, like my first year playing the league, um, let's say being on the panel was 2011. And for me, I was one of the players trying to get my name on a team sheet for a championship, whereas other players were in a different position. But if you go as far as the All-Ireland, for example, and you, you're season it that bit longer. And as a result, you're getting back that bit later than other teams to your preseason. When it comes to the league, you're still blowing the cobwebs off to a certain degree. And you you understand that you are the team that's the legs are that little bit heavier when you're on the pitch and the other teams are going to be going well. And I remember I used to take a little bit of solace. Like you never wanted to lose a game, but when you were beaten by such a team, maybe in Nolan Park or you went somewhere and you just lost by a point and the opposition fans were celebrating and you were coming away going, lads, we're only back training four weeks. Those lads that we've heard have been training since the end of October, or whatever it is, you know, you're always going, we'll get them when it comes back. This was the attitude. So for like Limerick lads, for example, they'll be going, you know, we don't have as much work done as other counties yet. Cork, who are going really well at the moment, just betters the, the other night. And they'll be fine with that, but they'll be going, we don't want that to happen again. So other teams as well, you know, you could just have to kind of take stock of what you've done, but we never we always wanted to go out and win the league we wanted to win all our matches and so on because i think any player who turns up on a it's given good. day you want it's to win good. like you it's can't good. tell a player not to win you want to win uh but at the same time if you didn't win the league you weren't going away from distraught the year over you're actually going right now we're focusing on championship and on we go so by nature of just being a player you were always competitive when you went out and you wanted to win and if that meant yeah you were good enough and you went to win the league well happy days but you were never going to, um, I suppose, be too hard on yourself if it didn't work out and you could put your finger on why it didn't work
1: out. You were saying that you almost walk away from Kilkenny and Tipperary the weekend and go, what the hell was that? Was that your feeling at half time when Tipper 2.13 to 7 points up on away soil against Kilkenny?
0: <clears throat> yeah, well, I could I could see where it was coming from. It wasn't that it was going, what's happening? I'd Like from a mental point of view, uh, I just think Kenny weren't weren't at the races at all, but they were just indecisive. Like, that was the one thing that was coming true for me when I was watching it. It was just going, they're, they're not making the right decisions here or they're forcing the issue. They're going that one pass too much. Whereas you see when Tipperary were getting chances, you know, they were clinical. Um, now, they were hitting wides and they were hitting even a few more wides than Kilkenny, but they were creating more chances at the same time. But there, you, I could see in areas where Kilkenny, it just looked a bit disjointed all over the pitch. Um, and I could make sense of it, I could see where it was kind of happening, not to say you know you knew all the answers, but part of it was mentally working Kenny up for the game, and another part of it was their play was just so disjointed from a tactic point of view. They were just a little bit making the wrong decisions here and there, not going towards the ball, half-back line were a bit flat, so when Tipperary broke the line they were just true on the full-back line. Um, and yeah there there's just a few things there and the, another one was when Kilkenny players would get the ball some lads were taken on like Park Welch got a great point in the second half To on Shane McCann and popped it over but there was times where Kilkenny were if they couldn't get through the tackle were turning around and popping it back that's good to get you out of trouble at times but if you play that that ball more than you should it gets very negative and Kilkenny were playing a bit flat that way so I could see where it was going wrong for them but I'd say what Derek Ling and the lads would be looking at would be You know, why did the lads turn up like this? Because we were quite sharp up in Corrigan Park, granted against the Sterner test against Tipperary. But, you know, again, it goes back to just being inexcusable. Tipperary have come down here. Tipperary were clinical. You know, we were in the All-Ireland final last year. We're supposed to be a better team. There's players putting their hand up for jerseys. There's lots of things there you could find to to say, this should not be the performance we got.
1: Yeah, and I think particularly inexcusable when it's your rivals coming to your home ground and you don't expect yourself to find yourself 12 points down at half-time here.
0: No, you don't, and that was always a you know a, a point of pride with us. I remember, I think it was 2014, um, we played Tipperary in the park, and I think that was the one that was an enormous score. Colin Fenley got 2-4 or something like this, or there was, it was a crazy score. But I think that day we were down at one stage by about 10 or 11 or 12 points against Tipperary in the park, and we ended up winning by six. It was just a kind of a thing that, okay, it might be the league, and teams might be doing whatever, but... This is Tipperary and Nolan Park. You know, you put up, you're the team that has to perform, not Tipperary. You're the team that has performance similar to Tipperary and Turles. And over the years, touching back on what we were saying about how serious we take it. You can say whatever about how serious we took it. We took everything serious. But when Tipperary were coming to Nolan Park, it was a different story. You call it off. You know, I don't care if you're back training in two weeks or you're back training in 10 weeks. You know, you put in a performance and you don't give an inch. And you can say over the weekend
1: there was there was there was inch, the inch was given to Tipperary over the weekend. Yeah, and James, look, Tipperary took their chances here. Jason Ford won fifteen, which is a serious individual haul, mm-hmm. when, you know, they've eased him back into action. They kinda of went a different direction for the leash game and then brought him in for this game uh, with a man in the match performance, Jake Morris, who we know all about in the last few years scored a goal in two points. And then they spread it across the rest of their team it was eleven scorers and all that Tipperary had. So I think if you're um, Liam Call and his Tipperary management team, you're probably thinking at the moment, James, there isn't a few players in. Like there was a league debut there for Alan Tynan, who used to play dual minor and uh, was with Munster rugby and played underage for Ireland. He played his first game at the weekend and looked lively. So there's kind of three or four players that they've got in and got a bit of experience. And at the same time, he's working these key positions out and still getting a bit out of the veteran players. It, It looks to me, I mean, we spoke quite glowingly about Tipperary last week. It looks to me like Carl has a few of his ideas working out pretty well already.
2: Yeah, like we, we said last week, or I, I particularly said last week, I just didn't know where I stood with Tipperary um, because he didn't know what they were going to come with. And I'd say if if, if Liam Cattell was being honest, given an appraisal yesterday, I don't think he expected to, his team probably to produce a, per- a performance at the level they did. And I think that probably is coupled with the fa- fact that Lekini were a bit lethargic, to be honest. But, you know, Tipperary... Um, it's, it's easy points to scores, the, the lovely lovely point taking when you're in space but like they were just they were vicious tackling i thought and what morph said there about passes going back the way that's just that's a great sign of opposition forcing you back the way so like if you have to constantly turn back and look for an out ball for a guy behind you that means there's no, there's no way forward or the guy's up up at the far end are getting marked like fierce well, so there's no space so i think Tipperary, from from a, um, a satisfaction perspective. It's great, great to go down to Nolan Park, obviously, and win. Uh, it's great to produce the type of scores that he did and get performance from guys that did. But just overall, the level of commitment, the, the work that they, they, they put down on the day, and the way they tackled and hassled and just really put it up to the excuse me, uh, would be very impressive. And their body language as well. Whenever they won, you know... The, they call the, the, the minor battles, the minor wars. Let's say, where you win a free or you win a, a jostle. You know, there was three or four times Tip lads ran through and physically knocked over Kikini lads. That little thing, them little things, will, will spur you on an extra half a percent or a couple percent. So you're looking for these marginal victories. So when you see someone run through and he bowls over a, a Kikini fella, you know that's that's like a platform for success. So Tip just won; every, they won every kind of measurable battle yesterday, to be honest. And in fairness, to you, I I know we're talking about Tip, but Kikini they fought back for your well. And only for a couple of, uh, which I'll touch on in a second, the, the shots, shot selection, the way that, the teams over the weekend were shooting for goals, like, it's just criminal, the way they're shooting such high. And I think of Walter Walsh, and I think of, I think it was John Donnelly. Well, it was it? John Donnelly. Yeah. John Donnelly shoots just above Hogan's right shoulder. Like, like Look at the way Massey-Hewn finished his goal. That's the way every 4 should finish a goal. Lower to the ground on the keeper's opposite side. But John Donnelly and Walter both shot high, which gives just, it just gives a great opportunity for a keeper to save it. Um, so, like if you look at Kilkenny and they convert one of those chances, the complexion of the game might be different. I know it's it's easy, it's ifs and buts, you know what I mean. But it's just Kilkenny weren't killed by 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 any you know, measure of means. But they got back within four points or five points at one stage, and you're you're hoping they show on again. But just Tipperary showed enough class, uh, and, they, and even the guys they brought on, on the bench, you know, were, were seriously effective. So they they have a good squad and they're, they're building nicely.
1: Yeah, well, take us down goalkeeper masterclass here, Skell. Like, Hmm. I was thinking of you because you would put in the WhatsApp group about some of those Kilkenny shots in the second half when, you know, the goal chances presented themselves and they've been hit at good angles for a goalkeeper. I think anything that's kind of high and up around here and not down low it gives a goalkeeper a good chance. And I thought the Antrim goals that were taken in the next match, which was on the TV, um, Keelan Malloy particularly, and I think there was a couple of other shots that were did really low and they were incredibly hard to save. Yeah, Kenny made it maybe a bit easy for the goalkeeper by shooting in the area that they were shooting in.
2: They did. So So if you can picture, okay, now I'm a little technical guy so buckle up, all right? Goal. So if you can picture a keeper, right? If a keeper has the ability to be able to fall back and save at the same time, you're making it easy for him. So if you picture, let me give you a good one. Owen Murphy saved against Wexford last year. Do you remember that, Nolan Park? Yeah, yeah. Owen was able to fall back and still save, right? If that ball is put on the ground or put left or right of him, whereby he has to go laterally, where he has to move himself, right, he doesn't save it. So all the shots over the weekend where you saw Donnelly, Walsh, uh, Neil McManus did it, um, Shane Barrett did it versus Galway, where they're hitting this height, or like where a keeper has the ability to fall back and still save, you know, it's going to be saved. Like, Granted, some of them go in. Don't get me wrong. The hands one went in it was a great goal, but you're giving the keeper too much of a chance. If you put that ball low like Mossy Kion, uh, that's not getting saved. And then the, probably the best finish of the weekend was Jason Ford's, where he's coming in. If you, the picture, it was the first goal, wasn't it? So he's coming in, right? He's a left-sided shooter, yeah. And so every goalie, like 99 of 100 goalies, will think he's going to go across somebody, but he put it to the near post. Super finish, and no goalie can anticipate that because you can you can take a chance, maybe a a five percent chance that you think you're going to read him. Uh, and, and that's why you often see goalies Diving the same direction as, as players when they go across the body But Ford finished that one excellently and Same with Jake Morris When he got his goal You see um, the keeper The stony goalie What's his name? Aiden Tellis Tellis, yeah Who played very well to be honest right? As Jake Morris is shooting He's shooting t- he, Tellis has fallen in a direction That Jake Morris is going across his body But Jake Morris slices the far side So very, mm-hmm. very smart finish so I just I was saying about if you give the to summarize, if you give the goalie a chance to be able to fall backwards and prop the hurdle at the same time, you're bet. Whereas if you make him go laterally left to right, you're uh, you're increasing the chances dramatically.
1: Yeah, it reminded me kind of um the Desi Hutchinson goal, which I thought was an incredible finish. Now, as it turned out, Ender Olin, the leash goalkeeper, I got turned over, so it was actually a couple of leash defenders who'd gone back to try and cover the line. But I was just thinking Hutchinson gave them no chance whatsoever because he days he daisy cutter that went low right across yeah. goal. It didn't matter low. how many lads go back in the line that was going in.
2: Low across the body yeah very difficult. Like, yeah. Can you imagine oh, if he hit a bullet straight at was it was it Paddy uh, person on the goal? Paddy person, yeah, yeah. yeah. If Purcell he hits a bullet the goal straight at Paddy Purcell Paddy Purcell has two chances one it hits him or two he can, he can fall back and get the hurl up. So mm-hmm. by putting it across his body and I know he he buys tickets handy. Oh, so why did not he save that yet? But now, see, it's not that fucking simple, is it? Sure, sure. <laughs> when the ball the oh. goes across personally. Like.
0: So sure, what was the handy save you made up last year during the club match? It was on Twitter last year. Remember that handy one? Oh, you? yeah.
2: A lot of the club said I should have caught it. A <laughs> <laughs> of the clubs. So why are you diving around the place? You should have caught it, he said. You're right. You just put a, an extra bit of spice on it there
0: by
1: hitting the deck afterwards. That's all that happened. There. <laughs> he he yeah, the game cool. was been streamed, so he made sure he was getting played.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we get bit. <laughs>
1: Daniel, uh, if your club mate's entirely right. If you caught that, brought it down, pucked it out, nice bit of distribution, no one would have seen the clip. Yeah, just four
2: broken fingers, that's all. Murph,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to give you um, young Gerrard's comment here. Gerrard Oag has asked, is Cattle setting tip up to burn out like the data last year? See, I'm not sure about this. I read this slightly differently. I think mm. Liam Cattle has shown that he can go into setups and get a kick out of a team. Like this happened, like Waterford were in a loan of ebb when he took over, got them to an All-Ireland final. It didn't quite happen for them last year, but I'm not sure if that was a pattern about Liam Cal that say what happened to Waterford last summer. And with Tipperary, he knows these guys incredibly well, particularly this new group of players that are coming in. He'll know them inside out from being within the county, having managed some of them before, with minor and with under 20. I read this more that Cal's actually getting a kick out of Tipperary that maybe wasn't there last year.
0: Yeah, it seems to be something that always strikes me about Cal is that he seems to be just a man with a plan. Like he knows what he wants to do, and even like so Michael Breen being full back. When I saw that at the start of the year, I was kind of thinking I wasn't actually like I was surprised to see it, but because it was Liam Cal, I was just going, "He ha- he's he sees this differently." You know, he there's something going on here, um, and I think the players as well. When a manager has that uh, I suppose presence about him, that he knows what he wants to do. And this is what we're doing. And you come with me on it. Players buy into that because players just want to be told what to do. They're like sponges. Tell us what to do and we'll do it for you. And he has a great understanding of the panel he has as well. I mean, using like Shami Callaghan at the weekend, he used him, I thought, really well. And that Shami was coming out looking for the ball. If you look at the goal for um, uh, Jason Ford's goal, when he came out, Shane Callan took it down, knew where Ford was. Ford, you could see he was waiting for it. He knew Shamey Callan was clever enough to know that he was there. Shamey Callan had the presence of mind just to turn and pop it into him. But he seemed to be the fella that was creating stuff for the lads around him, for the tip lads. So he got the balance really, really well there with, you know, the few younger lads coming in, the few experienced fellas. Um, so I don't think they're going to burn out at all. No, I, like really yesterday, I just think they heard really well and they were very sharp. And I would actually say they're probably just in a really good place. I, they don't strike me as a team. Like, they're not going to go out and obliterate teams every week. And if they're obliterating teams, well, then they're miles ahead and then they could burn out. Mm. But I just think that he has them taken over really well. They're probably just a little bit reinvigorated again with new management. We said it earlier. Um, Just when new management comes in, it's a new voice and, you know, players see a new opportunity again. But his style is, you know, there's nothing fancy about it. He knows how to unlock defences. He knows how to set up a team really well. And The players he has at Tipperary, he is a he is, he is a good panel there at Tipperary, He's a good panel of hurlers, and like we said, a, a, a panel that he has worked with at underage. So I think there's lots of things here in Tipperary's favour, but I don't think they're set to burn out. As much as I like I'd like to say that as a Kilkenny man, <laughs> I don't think they're set to burn out because I just think they hurled really well at the weekend. A little bit of that was was tempered by the fact that Kilkenny were quite flat in the first half. Um, but I wouldn't be concerned as a Tipperary player or a Tipperary supporter thinking that. These lads are miles ahead of everyone else at the moment. They're not. They just seem to be playing really well, enjoying what they're doing. Um, and I wouldn't be concerned. I, I, I don't think there's anything similar to, to the Watford burnout here.
1: Scal, they might have to think about just how the rest of this um, spring kind of pans out from here, though, because they will be expected to get one, if not two wins, given that they've got Dublin and Antrim still to come in the league you've got Waterford to play as well but you would expect that they will probably win two of those three which will definitely put them into a league semi-final given they already have two wins on the board right now then they have to navigate the Munster Championship a couple of weeks after the league final so maybe Carl has to think about this a little bit though about how he works his players into it over the next four or five weeks
2: Yeah I don't think um, this will come as a him because obviously he went through this process last year you know he went uh, gung-ho for the league they, they won with Waterford and we see what happened in the Championship so I'd say he's got one eye on it and how he's going to structure himself. Um, And I think the way the league is structured for for Tipperary in particular, he has that allowance whereby he can tailor the team selections to to the level of difficulty that the opposition are going to provide. Uh, Tipper are in a good spot because it seems like they can, you know, they can dictate what teams they go to field and dictate what way they move into the the, the Munster Championship. So I think from what he's learned last year, in particular at Waterford, that will be brought into his mind space this year and he'll be quite conscious of it. And because certainly what he doesn't want to happen is get a, a good bit of steam up, get a good league campaign for Tipperary, and then suddenly for the the wheels to come off. I'm not saying they will; they would, but I'm just saying he was in charge of the team where it happened last year, so he'd be quite conscious of it. Um, I just think Tipperary, for, for, for the squad they have, the quality they have, and the history they have also, which I you hear me repeating every week, that accounts for an awful lot. And I don't see, I don't see an issue whereby come you know just back to that question come championship time the tip around the actual descendancy I think they'll be peaking just right having had a good league campaign I think if he gets a semi-final if he wins it he wins it if he doesn't I don't think he's too bothered to be honest I think he knows himself it's all about championship and then we'll see what the true tipper like then
1: Mm. Uh, Niall6591 Which I'm assuming you sent him a birthday card On the 6th of May uh, For his well, his 22nd birthday I'm guessing Based <laughs> on his, uh, yeah. his uh, name that he's got on Instagram here um, Kilkenny's puck out strategy yesterday Clueless? question mark. Paul Murphy Clueless puck out strategy That's heavy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's heavy. I heavy Let's t- ask you what the uh, man has said It's not me
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, look, I think he's picking out one part uh, of the game. Like It, it was symptomatic, really, of, of a loss of the game. I don't think he could put it back on Talus either in the goal. It was the options really not being provided for him out the field. You know, lots of times you could see a short puck out happening. And I've said the word flat already. It was just a case of a player taking it flat-footed, turning, looking what's on, nothing really on, running up a bit of a cul-de-sac, and then just striking it. Um, so, potentially, yeah, puck out strategy, not great, but what I would more say is, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, it was just the the options on the pitch, your players moving, creating that space, just being enthusiastic about going looking for a puck out and giving the options for the keeper. Um you know, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't look back at, uh, at Talis here and say that there was nothing that he was doing. It was just the options. Now, they did he cough up a few, a few kind of, I suppose, mistakes there? I mean, there was one important time there to Kenny brought it back to about five points, and I think Talis did actually poke a ball out and went to one of the Tipperary lads. Now, it, I didn't actually see what happened because TG Catter hadn't come back from the uh, after the fact, but. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be too hard on the keeper in this instance. It was really more symptomatic of the of the outfield players, maybe not moving, not supporting then when the sharp puckout came, and then even in the forwards, just mo- moving across and looking for a long puckout. So uh, I wouldn't be too hard on him in this instance.
1: All right, yeah. let's stick with Division One B then. Uh, we had Waterford coming out winners in the end against Leash, two thirty one to two nineteen. Perhaps doesn't tell the full story of the match. Waterford hurled for over an hour, a man short because Michael Kiley was sent off for an off the ball incident very early in the game. Uh, Their subs made a big difference though And going into that 49th minute of the game We already spoke about The Desi Hutchinson goal Which put Waterford back in front But Leash were two points up At that stage in the game And then they emptied the bench A little bit 11 points coming from their subs Six of those coming from Ozzie (coughs) Gleason So that's two good performances Off the bench for him Uh, They eventually got through In this one, scale, But, you know Leash gave them a good rattle Up until about 20 minutes to go I'm wondering is that maybe Going to be a familiar story For the season though When we talk about Leash Antrim and Westmeath here
2: yeah, I think, let's say, I was just going through, like I, do, I, I have a tendency to take notes through all games, and I'm, I'm looking at them here as I'm talking to you, and the first one I've written was Waterford one not physical in the first 35 minutes, and, and Leash were ultra-physical. Like Their tackling was fantastic. They had a whole host of numbers around around what seemed to be every single ball that a Waterford man touched. But again, Waterford kind of allowed them, Waterford allowed Leach to grow into the game because they sat, at times they sat Callum lines very deep, nearly like a sweeper, per se, even with a man down, uh, and Leash just just thrived on that. Like, 95% of Leach's, Leach's scores, bar the goal, obviously, in the first half, were coming from distance. And they were great, wonder scores, great accuracy, don't get me wrong. But when the ball actually went into the full forward line and 50 on 50, 50-50 chance, to say, um, Waterford were coming out of it. So obviously Leach weren't getting much change over the full forward line, so they were shooting long. So I couldn't, for the life of me, understand why Waterford sat back. They should have just pushed up. And then there's a couple of things happening in the game, obviously. Uh, the Corby red card, which was justified, in my opinion. Um, and like you said about the... The uh, introduction of the, the substitutes just coincided with probably a superior level of fitness, to be honest, from Watford, and that's where they, they pulled away. But it was a, a thoroughly a well-contested game for 50-55 minutes, but just that bit of quality and where you had probably the leash substitutes didn't make the same impact. And then they got tired, and when you get tired, your concentration drops, and when your concentration drops, your execution goes to shit, to be honest. And that's just what happened in the last 10 minutes. You know, They just didn't produce the same level of execution that they did. In the first fifty, where they're tackling, the tackling count went way down. So I put, look, I'm not trying to be dismissive of Leish. It was a good performance for, for a period, but they should have they have more to do.
1: Yeah, Willie Mar was a lot happier. I was his name after the game with this performance than the one they put in against Tipperary the week before. And the thing is, Murph, maybe they're going to find um, a few different options here because. Paddy Purcell is now hurling deeper. We mentioned how he found himself back on the line after Rowland got turned over in yeah. um, the lead-up to the Hutchinson goal, but he's going to be playing probably as a centre-half back or a sweeper. That's now liberated Ryan Milani, who was their general number six and a big unit of a player to go up and actually cause problems further up the pitch. And he did a lot of hurling in the half-forward line at the other end. He gets two goals and two points, which yeah. I wasn't expecting that out of a guy who's generally been the anchor of a defence in pretty much all of his inter career.
0: Yeah exactly and I think I don't know was it his second goal Um I was watching it and the corner forward was looking to pop it off to someone I was saying there's someone running off the shoulder who's he p- popping it to and Milani pops up I said how was this fella after turning up which is incredible stamina out and get up there and support but it's obviously something he's been directed to do as well you know you don't make that run from centre back twice um, because the management haven't told you, listen, you can get up here and support. And like you said, Paddy Purcell, then sitting there, like he's another athletic man. And we saw a few drives out of him from the half back line forward. Really, yeah, just bringing brilliant. the attack at Waterford And like he's, they have great players around the pitch leash. And I suppose just setting them up in terms of where is the best launching pad for those players is really what they're trying to figure out. But I think he'll be really happy. I think Willie really Mara will be really happy coming away from there, going actually. We're after seeing a few things here. I mean milani there i mean he was the best man having your fantasy team over the weekend if anybody had him i didn't have him, no but i was kicking myself afterwards but and uh, you know exactly what you said there will you know paddy Purcell, a man who would have hurled really well for for leash over the last few years and even when they got to the quarter final you know a great player but seems uh, rejuvenated again kind of playing that deeper role and maybe launching from there and I, I was kind of looking at it. Maybe it's a similar thing that Lean Cal is looking at with, with Tipperary, that Mickey Mickey Breen kind of starting that bit deeper. No, deep is full back. But these lads who have savage athleticism, if you were going to run the ball out of defence, well, these are the boys that you nearly want to pop it to, that they're going to drive up the pitch because they're big men. They're hard to stop. And their game is running the ball. So I think Mara will be happy with with a few of the lads who put their hand up over the weekend and the likes of Picky Mar jumping in with a few scores as as normal. So no, definitely he'll be happier with this performance compared to the the, the performance the week previous.
1: All right, Scale. Let's talk about the man behind the wire then. Because this has come up now two weeks in a row. You've been coached by <laughs> Davy Fitzgerald. you've been a goalkeeper on his team. So you can give us a an inside track into what was going on here because Eventually, the Lee Stewart's decided to move the man who was part of the Waterford management team who was also behind the goal in Dungarvan the week before and we wondered what instructions he was given out to Billy Nolan when he was in goal. So obviously he got moved, but then the picture emerges and I think Sportsfile took this picture, I'm just having a look at it in front of me here now, and it looks like there's a bit of tape around his ear which could well be concealing some kind of listening device in the same way that we saw the picture, and I think it was Buff Egan who initially spotted this one with Mark Fanning the year before, it seems that there's very clearly instructions coming from the sideline by way of either the man behind the wire or potentially an actual wire, which is giving out instructions about puck to yeah. the goalkeeper.
2: Well, he's not listening to Spotify anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> 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 this all, I, I I witnessed the first hand 16 years ago, which is a long time ago now, when I was part of the Fitzgibbon team with Fitzy. He situated a guy on the sideline uh who would hold either a water bottle a high vis vest off memory or a hurdle, something like that or a slither, and each one each each item was signified in area of the pitch so for example if he held the water bottle that goes to number 10. this is back in time now it was just lumped the ball there was no sharper gouse there was no you know, tippy tappy and so if he held the high, the vest or the hat or whatever it was 11 and if he held the ball whatever it was goes to 12. and so me just being me at that age every now and then i just run egg you know I understand it and straight away I'd have a message come down to me, ran down to me, stick to the stick to the structure. Because what I did is it provided all the outfield guys knew where the ball was going as well. They'd take a quick look, look over where the, the item was. And you know, at the time I didn't I didn't mind it too much because it was working because we're we winning, right? But nowadays, when I look at the earpiece, right, I'm thinking what's Billy Nolan? He's either getting information or he's getting instruction. Instruction I completely disagree with, because you're taking the onus you're, t- you're taking the natural ability, the natural instinct of the goalkeeper to see what's in front of him, to play the game in front of him. Because no matter what you see, if you're, in this, if you're on the sideline or behind the goal or you're in the stand and you're wired up to Bill Nolan, when you see it and get the message to Billy, and Billy, I suppose, understands information, processes it, the opportunity could be gone. Whereas Billy could see it himself and the opportunity is right there. So I don't agree with this instruction, form instruction. But if he's getting information, I don't have a problem with it. I just, I just don't, I don't agree with the way he's getting it. If if like me personally, if I'm playing with the club, I like information come back to me every 10 minutes. You know, we've won X amount of balls here. This guy's going well, whatever, except little, little nuggets and it's just information and give me the information and let me process it myself. You know, whereas if someone came down to me or a joke about in our club WhatsApp group, if someone put a, an earpiece into my ear and told me where to puck the ball, I'd hit the ball straight at him. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> out of pure <laughs> viciousness because I just think it takes the natural instinct and probably the best Element of a player is his natural instinct and his gut feeling to go with what he sees in front of him. And when you when you strip that back, uh, it's it's kind of it's devolution. It's not it's not evolution at all. Um, and I'm very surprised with it. And I'd like to see just just gone away with it. because when you look, look look at the way Billy played, hundred percent himself, no problem.
1: Take me back then to this guy who was on Davies' management team, who's in the terrace or on the stand, and people are looking across for messages and so on. Would it not get to a point where the half back line of the college team that you're playing against? Would notice that their marker is having a quick look across, or that you're looking across at this guy before you hit the ball out.
2: Well, no, it didn't. Look, no, truthfully speaking, well, it didn't. Like you know, you consider in Fitzgibbon times, those days we had four games, mm. you know, and I suppose video analysis wasn't a big thing back then. It wasn't even present, so statistics weren't even present. So, and you, look, don't get me wrong, we we were, we concealed pretty good now as well, you know. <laughs> so like, I'd look over every so often, and you know, I see it, and I think it was. I think I could be open to correction, but I actually think it was. The meads manager, Saoirse Bulfan, who spent a lot of time with Fitzy. I think he was the one doing it. Him or Bertie Sherlock from Tipperary. But uh, again, they did well concealing it also. So it just became, I suppose, a bit of structure. And it was kind of like, I will not call it a set play now. You know, but at least people knew where the ball was going. Whereas when you've got an earpiece and the goalie's ear, nobody out the field knows where the ball is going. Nobody has a clue, only the goalkeeper. you know. And I, 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 again, I, I reiterate, if it's information, I've no issue. If it's instruction, fuck that.
1: Right So whether it's information Or it's instruction Was Davey getting the info Over to Saoirse Bulfin For what he was to do Or was Saoirse Bulfin Let's say I don't know Empowered Let's use that phrase To be able to say to you Well actually I see a pattern They've moved across Go 10 this time Go 12 Like who's actually making Yeah the goals?
2: So Sir Bulfin At the time He's a bruff man And would have played in goals himself Um. So I think There was a balance whereby <clears throat> he was probably 75% empowered Off memory And maybe Every so often Davey would check in You know I'd say he'd check in and if he wanted to change something he'd pass the message like if someone like you know Owen Cadigan or irritanium with the two wing forwards you know two two behemoths in the wing forwards if one was going well with the other you know maybe overload that, that, that way a bit more but um, I'd say ultimately the overall structure would come from Fitzy um, but that Sirius was given the, the licence if you want to call that to to, to call the plays <laughs> as as he saw fit and again the type of game back then facilitated that it wouldn't work in today's today's world yeah,
1: and did Davey micromanage everything to that detail, or were Puckouts a particular interest to his then?
2: Um, I would say, like again, at the time he, I, th- I think he had to, because I don't think there was people you know delegated into every position, so there was no such thing as backs coaches, forwards coaches. You know, SNC was just about to come in at the time, so I think he had to have a little nugget of. Of influence on, on them all, um, but particularly on how the team wanted to play, he was heavily involved in that. So if that was, you know, a, a set system or obviously player selection, don't get me wrong, or a pattern of play or, or the pace of play or how we trained, that that was all him. And then he's, again, he's empowered the people around him to a certain degree to to <clears throat> ensure that they they mould everything towards his 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 mindset, his way way he thought about it. Um, and if you look today with with all the information that you can you can access and all the platforms and people and professionalism, I'd say. Ultimately he's, he's like a, a CEO of business so like he's managing director I think he manages everyone uh, During the week uh, Manages Tells the coach, coach How he visits the session And then just You know Loses his shit at the weekend yeah. <laughs> so, Well
1: For <laughs> well, real time info There's potential for a lot more information To actually be passed on To the players now At this stage And look Paul my on is I'm not going to walk you into any trouble here And what I will say is
2: Oh you walk me in yeah Wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah Scale can talk as freely as he wants it's no problem he's played under the system he's telling us what's happened I'm having to interpret what I've seen here which is it's, for me it's too much of a coincidence that two goalkeepers in a row have had their ears taped uh, I can't think of any other reason that they're going to have their ears taped up I don't think it's a case of two goalkeepers in a row wearing jewellery that they have to cover or something like that so I'm going to make the inference that it seems that the goalkeepers have got some kind of receiving device to be able to get um, instruction uh, through their ear like does this sit right that you could have a guy behind the goals handing out instructions you could have information coming through an earpiece should this not be restricted purely to a mere foreigner as opposed to you know potentially technology being used how does it sit with you Paul
0: yeah i suppose um it, it it it's just is it in the spirit of the game really to be doing it i don't know like i mean again it's just an aid it's it's a team trying to get one step ahead i wouldn't like it to be honest uh, being if, if I was a goalkeeper or even if I knew the, the goalkeeper on my team was being dictated to, I suppose. You know, like if you have the likes of you're dealing with intercounty goalkeepers here. Um they're supposedly the best person in that county to be the goalkeeper. They're probably the best subject matter expert to actually tell you what a good puck out is and their instincts are very important in this. It's like a free taker, you know, as in they're good at what they do. Puckouts now even are, you know, they, It's not just a case of poke it as long and as far as you can or as high as you can. Like they're hitting laser beams at fellas. They're popping balls into spaces. They're doing whatever. And I think their instinct is important in that. Now, again, what what is an important aspect to figure out here is how many puckouts are being dictated to this person. But my view on it would be that if I have, let's say, for example, Owen Murphy in the goal, I know several occasions of where Owen Murphy looked down. And it might seem ridiculous to say that from 80 yards He's able to make eye contact with a player, and the body language that player knows that he's about to get it. He's able to create space. Like Walter Welsh, there's a great example of Walter Welsh against Limerick in 2019. Scored a point. It was about the fifth point he scored against Limerick, and uh, I think it was Brendan Cummins who was actually commentating on the match. And it was a case of Owen looked down. And he made eye contact with Walter Welsh from that distance, and Walter Welsh known from training with Owen what he was about to do. Owen hit him straight to him into the hand and over the bar. Brian Cody wouldn't have been able to see that. So how could Davey, Davey's perspective on the game or whoever else is now maybe the keeper or the, the goalkeeping coach behind the goal, maybe he's calling it, but I just think there's no better person to actually see what's going on in the pitch than the goalkeeper. Um, and taking that person's instincts away from them and telling them, hook it down to number 10, whereas his instincts are saying, actually, I could nail a, a pass here to the midfielder, but I can't do it. I think that, creates a disjointed effect on the team. And not only does the goalkeeper's instinct go down the drain, but also now the outfield players know that, well, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing here. The call has just been gone to the goalkeeper that's been decided 15 seconds ago. It doesn't matter if I run here. So there's lots of aspects here that I just think it's probably, it's, it's definitely not fine-tuned yet, but I also think that it's, it's not in the good spirit of the game for the creativity of players that you just let them go and hurl and perform and just you know, to have the autonomy to go at it. I don't think the likes of John Kiley would ever put in something like this. But it's Davey's style. That's his style, and that's what Skel is saying, that, I mean, he has form to do it, so maybe that's just what he wants to do. And look, we could be sitting here in six weeks' time or ten weeks' time saying she's working out really well. So early do- early days on it yet, but I wouldn't be a
1: big fan of it. Mm. See, Skel, a few years ago, I went to watch an inter-county training session and Brendan Cummins uh, was in as effectively doing a goalkeeping session for the night. And everything that he was teaching the goalkeepers that night was entirely counter to this idea so what he did was he basically put the goalkeepers in either end and then he got players primarily subs to run different lines and to run different positions and the whole idea was that the instruction would then be basically hit that the guys were going to move into a different direction and the goalkeepers had to actually make the call about where they were going to poke the ball to and the whole point of the instruction and the drill that they were doing was that the goalkeepers would be able to think on the fly themselves mm-hmm. and to see things that were happening, patterns on the pitch, and to make the right pass. That that was more important than a goalkeeper being able to just mullock the ball down the pitch a long distance. So it was about picking somebody out and making the right decisions. This, to me, sounds like if you're telling a goalkeeper that there's pre-planned moves and you're going to go this way, this sounds a little bit more like NFL than it does National Hurling League.
2: Yeah, that's suppose the thing about NFL is the call comes in pre-snap. So every player on that team... Uh, it knows the call and knows the exact routing because they're it to a tee whereas in hurling, you're not afforded that opportunity because only the goalkeeper is hooked up in this instance and like what Brendan did that night with that, with that counter team I fully agree with it you because you're allowing the goalkeeper to be both if this makes sense reactive to the situation and then be proactive to where, where the ball goes whereas if you put complete instruction on top of him you just take that ability away from him and goalkeeping is all about instinct it's all about your gut even like, like you said, Murph, you're reading people's body language. You're, you're looking at the way a guy shapes, and you're kind of giving him a nod and go, and he makes a shot. You know, it's all mm-hmm. pro. Like, it is proactive to a degree, right? But goalkeeper is all reactive. Look at what's in front of you. Assessing the situation in real time, in real time, which is milliseconds, to be honest, intercom in level, whereby you're assessing the opposition setup, Let's say, if if this lad moves left, should I put it right? If I put the ball over a guy, will it get down on time? You're, you're trying to assess all this information in real time, and I just. Personally, I wouldn't like a guy in my ear. Because <laughs> even the crowd, you block out the crowd. You, when you're there as a player, you, again, everyone will tell you, it's like you, the crowd aren't even there. You know, you don't, you, they don't get into you at all. But if there's someone right in your ear who was part of your setup, it just carries more weight, if you know what I mean. So, so you'd be more in tune to it. And if you take your mind off it for a millisecond, you've, you've lost a whole host of opportunities. And like Christy Connor would be the same way with us, Well, He would constantly put these... And Christy has this knack of putting these crazy situations in place where you have to just work out, you know, nearly like a bloody physics exam before you get the ball out to somebody, you know. But it's all honed at trying to get you, you the goalkeeper, you the person to make a constructive decision in real time for the best of the team. And again, Christy was was brilliant at making you feel uncomfortable in, in, in real time so that you get more used to the situation and then execute better when you go into a high intense game. So like... I, overall, I just think it's it's all wrong. And Murph used the word spirit there. Spirit is one thing, yeah, of the game, you know, thinking globally. But just Billy, I'm thinking about the goalie. Billy is the person I just think is wrong for him. And his own instincts should be utilised more than... In that than the, the fucking earpiece I'm <laughs> sorry Well, <laughs>
1: for, for al- the it al- al- for language <laughs> there you go allow the comments to come in There's something James feels uh, very strongly about um, throw us a comment and something we can uh, uh, definitely chat a bit more well, I'm interested to in see the stats to see how Waterford's bookouts are going to go uh, when we get a sample size that's bigger than a couple of games as well mm. uh, elsewhere in Division 1A uh, Wexford didn't repeat the uh, missed opportunity for them in the Leinster Championship last year when they were held to a draw by Westmead they kicked on in the second half was working this game yesterday Wexford won in the end at Cusick Park by 2.23 to one fifteen. they were just a point up at half time 11 points to 10 and Lee Chin went off with a hamstring injury now after the game the Wexford management were keen to stress that it's just a tight hamstring and he should be okay that actually the break over the next week might help Chin to be back fit uh, but again I'm sure it was disappointing for them for him to be going off he hit five frees in the first half but was a little bit inconsistent with them then Ross Banville came on and hit the frees in the second half he scored a goal as well finished up at 1.3 uh, Connor McDonald With a goal And two points For Westmead The familiar story Very reliant on Killian Doyle's Freeze Nine points He scored eight of them From Freeze Oh McCabe uh, Got their goal Early in the second half But in the end It was Wexford Getting out by 11 points um, I think Murph They'll see this As important Wexford too I've got the win After the way They played against Galway the week before And look At least from their Point of view A much improved Second half performance But again freezer a consistent issue and again we're talking about lee chin's fitness again it's kind of a familiar story even from last week it is yeah yeah
0: um but i suppose uh, look wexford would be happy that they went um, back up to cusick park and put in a good performance came away with the win and look hopefully for lee chin and for wexford it is that just that that he felt a bit of a tightness and we often see that in players where like lee chin is of the age where he's able to put a hand up and say listen this isn't feeling great and Um, more power to him if if that is the case so but again like I said yeah and I think it is something that we weren't expecting to be rectified in in a week or two weeks even it's just this free taking they're they're just leaving behind a few cheap scores in other games they may go back to rue but I think overall particularly after last week I think Wexford will just be happy to have two points on the board now put in a performance in a place where they were very shaky last year going up there um, maybe maybe took Westmead for granted a little bit. So I think that they even just looked a bit more clinical. You know, they were going, they were they were going through for scores. They looked fairly decisive as well. And granted, hit a few wides, but um, I think at this stage, they'll just be happy to be moving on now. Two weeks of a break, hopefully get another bit of good training underneath their belt, and um, maybe look to improve not just from this performance, but from the Galway performance in general. So I think they'll be happy enough with the weekend.
1: Yeah, Darry can also mention after the game that he was happy that they're running the right lines to create the chances because Jack O'Connor had a shot that came back off the crossbar. Uh, Connor MacDonald hit the woodwork at one point and then the follow-up shot ended up going into the side netting. On a different day, they could have had three or four goals as opposed to getting two, but uh, they're up and running uh, with a win now at this stage, Gael. And look, for Westmead, this was always going to be tricky. They inherited Offley's fixtures from last season and with the way that the league is structured right now, there's always going to be one team that comes up from the second flight who's going to be in with Wexford, Galway, Clare, Limerick, which makes it very, very difficult. And you know, Joe Fortune, their manager, said after the game that he's kind of getting sick of people saying, yeah, you know what, we heard well for 50, 55 minutes, but... We just maybe don't have that strength and depth. And in Westmead's case, Niall Mitchell's out for eight weeks after getting some knee surgery. Ingus Clarke and Cormie Boyle, who were two of their last captains, are travelling at the moment. Uh, Derek McNicholas, who we had on the show last year, the most experienced player in uh, the All-Ireland Championship in Hurling, has stepped away after becoming a dad around about Christmas time. Ah, Westmead can ill afford to lose these players if they're going to stay up in the league and if they're going to stay up in the Leinster Championship.
2: Yeah, like, we, if you talk about the big teams, we're always saying that they're trying to build big squads. You know, they're, they're trying to get 30 players available for championship. And, like, you see how a team like Westmead, <clears throat> if they lose one or two, you know, how it decimates their whole campaign. Like, if you remember last year, Leash got decimated by injury and they just got took hammering after hammering because, with with respect, they just don't have the physical numbers that the top-tier companies have at the moment, you know. And I think, but if you were to ask the Westmead players, Leash players, you know, Antrim to a certain degree, like, if you're if 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 I give you the opportunity to go into Division One with with five of the top six or seven teams, will you take it? Of course, you will. You know, of course, you will. If you ask Neil McManus into Rowland, you know, nine minutes. Do you want to play those games week in, week out, with the potential of getting bit? You know, double scores or, or, or eight or nine points, they'll still take your hand off because they want to be, I suppose, exposed to top level hurling. Um, and I think, for me, my attitude to all this is it's monkey see, monkey do. Will you know? Like, the more you play these top teams, the more you get exposed to it, you come up against them and realize it's a stark realization of what you have to do. And don't get me wrong, resources are an issue for for lower-level teams, you know, the, the 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 size, the pick, the amount of clubs, all this comes into play when you're playing the big the big counties. But they just, the override message is just, is just stick with it and keep at it and stay the course. And if you pick up injuries, so be it. But just keep on trucking, you know, because it's the only way they're going to improve and involve as a county. Because you look at the, the traction they got last year in the football by winning the... Um, is it awesome. Tattling Cup? Is that what you call it? Yeah. Look at the homecoming they got in. I don't know where they got In Mullingar or something with like that. Oh,
1: Mullingar went absolutely Believers yeah, it, it, it was fabulous. It wasn't quite the case with the Joe McDonough the year before when they heard <laughs> of, but the, the footballers brought out the crowd.
2: Yeah, but I'm saying like that. Like, who knows? Like, if you just keep at it, and like, the same message goes to the Kerrys and the Carrows this world, like, you know, who are trying to, I suppose, go up against count, go up against their their own county if you like, where it's a football dominated area. So uh, yeah, they're going to shift a couple of beatings, that's just the nature of the beast But they just have to stay the course until such time as they turn it around hmm.
1: Well look, that brings us around to the last game in the top flight Which was on this weekend Murph And the question is probably there now Are Dublin going to qualify for the semi-finals of the league? I know we were saying last week that maybe they might just edge ahead of Wexford And become one of the top three in the Leinster Championship But um, despite a few caveats about the performance Dublin beat Antrim in the end 28 points to two nineteen. The worry for them will probably be there were two different stages where Antrim really lost five scores in a row, and Antrim scored the last one five of the game, which maybe masks the final result a little bit. But from a positive point of view, me all don't know who'd be looking at this and saying eleven different scores, Donald Burke has sent over ten points. We talked a bit earlier about some of the fantastic uh, score taking he had from very difficult angles, and in truth they were comfortable enough winners up until that final stage where Antrim had a bit of a goal push. Can Dublin get into the semi-finals of the league?
0: Yeah, they can. And they're actually probably one of the teams that would think that would be happy enough to be there. Um, I think Neil Donoghue is looking at it. I could be wrong now, but the more games that he gets to play with this team and enforces his game plan on them, like in their young team as well, relatively young, like in terms of that they can probably take those few extra days on the road as well. But, you know, we were looking at them against Walford last week and a few indicators that we saw was that, okay, well, they know how they want to target uh, they're inside forwards and they're moving the ball really well, and it's it's a little bit back to the old Dublin we used to see in terms of that they're running the ball really well and they're coming at you. We saw more of it again at the weekend, um, and again made Parnell Park look that old familiar thing of that little bit of a fortress. And look, that's not to be you know saying okay, Antrim had a had a bit more to do to really be competitive in this game, but you know, Dublin did what they had to do. That was the important thing. And it's been things that we've been critical of Dublin of over the last few years and that they just looked off colour many days and you didn't know what they were about. But now we're starting to see that they maybe, like they do seem to know what they're about. And, you know, Michal Dunn was obviously an excellent manager, but he really seems to put a stamp on this team. And I think they are actually one team that would be happy enough to go to a semi-final. Um, and that's not speaking for any other team, but they look like a team that the more matches they play together... Before championship, and this is all, you know, as long as they don't pick up injuries and like said, Donald Burke and these lads touch wood, don't get injured. He'll be happy enough doing that because they'll be compounding everything that they're doing. They'll be building on everything that they're doing. And I think Dublin kind of need that bit of confidence in in a year after the last few years of kind of not really taking anything for most years over the last few years. I think if they got to a semi final and came up against a really good team and potentially could get to a final, you know, they could really build confidence over the next few weeks. Um, I think they could prove to be, we talked about it last, it could be flying the ointment of, of, of a few teams this year. Um, and it's great to have it because Dublin have always proved to be a really entertaining team to watch. And I just think whatever shape that that Dunhu is putting on them at the moment, it seems to be working. And again, even touching back to about skill in 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 the league, you know, the, whoever wrote in the question there. Um you know, if if you stand back and look at this game, Antrim were performing really well. Like they're really skillful. They were they were moving the ball really, really well. And if you were to stand back and take the score off the off the screen when you're watching it, you know there was actually kind of very little between these. It's just Dublin were that bit more clinical, and they were I suppose they were just that bit more polished than Antrim. But Antrim, and going back to what James was talking about previously, like they've have closed that gap consistently now, have closed that gap, and are performing really, really well. And the likes of the Dunlade by his back as well is is a huge thing for them, but I just think that it's it, not to take away from um, from Dublin. I just think they're really good performance against a good, solid Antrim team who did put a bit of a gloss on it at the end. But I think Dublin can be happy with where they are. They're doing what they need to do. And look, I suppose Antrim don't want moral victories anymore, or anything like that. They want to win games. But. I have to give full credit to Antrim as well because like they they have closed this gap that we talk about with the big teams and you know they just need to bring in a few more players and the likes of Neil McManus and these to be able to rest the likes of him. Um that's what they need to do. But look, Dublin are happy. Dublin are happy where they are, and I think they're going to be building over on, on the next few weeks, they're really going to put in some good performances.
1: Yeah, the Malloy boys don't seem to have been affected. Cornel Cunning and Keelan Malloy, particularly, hurling very well. They had to kind of dust themselves off very soon after the All Ireland final and go straight back out with the county team. And uh, Keelan Malloy, particularly, breaking from deeper positions, took his two goals really well during the game. And the feeling will probably be for them that the leash game is the most important one for them in the league to make sure that they get points there and that it's leash we're playing in the relegation playoff as opposed to Antrim. For Dublin, uh, Skell, are you starting to see a bit of what you thought on who was going to bring to them?
2: Um, uh, glimpses of it, yeah, to be honest. Like, in fairness, they, they, they played Waterford uh, in Farther Field, tight ty- parameters. They played in Parallel Park again, same thing, tight parameters. They're playing Tipperary in two weeks' time in Crow Park and that will tell us an awful lot of where they're at. That'll tell me if Dublin, the Dublin players are taking in what me and his management team are trying to input onto them because they're dealing with a fair grander scale in the Crow Park pitch where you take a hurling team as sharp at the moment as Tipperary, who have the ability to play around teams and that'll tell you a lot where Dublin are at. That'll t- like they've got this potentially enough for Dublin to get bet, um and possibly well better by the way Tipperary are playing. But you're looking for the fundamentals of the way I dunno who team sets up. And that's just that's that's aggressive with the backs, power ball coming out and uh forwards playing with, with extreme confidence shooting on sight, which we saw yesterday with Dolan Burke with some of the scores he produced, you know, shoot on sight. Like what, what Meehan does is he puts great faith in the player's ability <clears> their <throat> personal ability what what they can do so if he was, I, I guarantee he's telling Donald Burke if you get anywhere within do take a shot and if, if it goes wide so be it but keep keep hammering the hammer and it'll eventually come off so again I, what, what, to your question Will um, learned seen a bit a glimpse of it but I'll know not a lot not, not more in two weeks when uh, when will end the court back against them Mm,
1: right, both of you get your uh, power rankings ready as to where we are now. I'm sure the. I'm ready. The, I was going to say the, the, <laughs> the infamous uh, Scale Notebook will probably come out in a second. So I did mine up before we started. Just to give you the results from uh, Division 2A before we do that uh, Offley beat Derry by 33 points to 115. Owen Cal scoring 12 points off the bench. Uh, that game was a lot closer at half time. Offley scored 20 points in the second half. So they've got two wins from two. Same story for Kerry, who overcame Carlo by 18 points to 113. And Kildare have got two wins from two as well A win against Down Who were the beaten finalists in 2A last year By 117 to 19 points So it sets it up interestingly So you've got three teams now Who are on two wins each And you can't help but think At the halfway point of this division It's probably going to be two out of three Getting to the final And perhaps one of the most important fixtures Is going to come in the first round after the break When Kerry will host Offaly Who are the top two currently On scoring difference Uh, Power rankings then I'm going to give mine And then you two can work yours out afterwards So number one Hang on, to
2: hold on, hold on a second oh, now Sorry oh, oh. Is this power rankings at present Or are we looking at a championship or overall power rankings
0: It's uh, a bit It's a bit of an overall We can't do it just It has overall d- yeah, the, the league, th- the league
2: table you. gives us the power rankings Thank you, yeah. I agree with you Oh yeah, people. I'd agree with that
1: I mean otherwise you'd be like Cork, number one Tipperary <laughs> number two <and> like, <laughs> like, yeah, We're, yeah, we're, we're on, on the
2: same team. page We're on the same yeah.
1: page So I think this is uh, Taking into account What we've seen in these first two weeks Plus where teams were at At the end of last year How's about that? Perfect Right, so number one, I've got Limerick Number two, Kilkenny Oh Jesus Yeah, three, I'm going Galway So you can both be kind of happy that you're in the top three there I've kept Clare in four, despite the defeat against Limerick Five, I've put Cork Six, Waterford Seven, Tipperary Even though I was tempted to put Tip a little bit higher It is still just two rounds that we're basing this on Wexford are in eighth Dublin in ninth Antrim in tenth Westmead are eleven. Leasher in 12, even though I think those three teams are very close. 13, Offaly. 14, Kerry. You can stick to Division 1 if you want, by the way. 15, Kildare. 16, Down. 17, Carlow. And 18, Derry. So that's the top two flights ranked in my power rankings. So I think I have to do an o at some point this week as well. So wait for me to change them before I go on. Right. Paul, do you want to go first? Where are you ranking here? I'll, I'll keep
0: it very simple. Uh, I only have one change from that. Ooh. That and, and, and this is just in, in, in the in the interest of brevity here. Uh, I have Cork ahead of Clare at the moment, I have them in fourth. I'm going to give them a bit of credit on their performances at the moment, yep. and maybe temper with the fact that Clare finished off quite poorly last year as well. But other than that, I'm quite happy with what you said there, will you? Hmm.
1: Right, Schettel, we're going to rip this up now. Not,
0: not a question of your power rankings, question of how high are Galway and then go and justify
2: the Welsh Cup. Go on. Oh <laughs> god <laughs> Oh you smartars! Um, right I have uh, So we can all agree Limerick first Sure Okay just about now, just are, you about. Sure now uh, are you sure
0: now Are you sure it's right We're go I think on. it's
2: a big call If now. you can't decide
0: Limerick first We'll just end the podcast here Alright. That's my final answer Okay.
2: <laughs> Number two I'm sticking with Galway. Right in, in the story Number three I have <laughs> Kinney <clears throat> Number four I have Cork Number five I have Clare Number six I have Tip Number seven, I've Washford. Number eight, I've Wexford. Number nine, I've Dublin. Number 10, I've Antrim. Number 11, I've Leash. Number 12, I've Westmeath. Number 13, I've Offaly. Number 14, I've Kildare. Number 15, I've Kerry. Number 16, I've Down. Number 17, I've Cairlow. And number 18, I've Derry. Right.
1: No, like, in fair it's not a massive amount of difference here. We're no. talking about like, Galway you have ahead of Kilkenny. So give us your argument for Galway being ahead of Kilkenny at this stage then.
2: Well, I'd, I'm just thinking. Okay, overall. So I, I know Murphy. You, you you pointed towards you know Kilkenny getting the Darren final, and that's I fully respect that. You know what I mean? Um, I just I point towards Galway in the way they showed up against Limerick as well. You know now granted Kilkenny bet Galway in the Munster Championship last year. Um, in in the final, obviously Galway bet Kilkenny in the group game. It's just like it's fine margins. I yeah. I like Galway squad. You know what I mean? And again, I'm thinking about one eye on on the games we have to go to. So we have to go to Kilkenny this year. That's a big one, you know what I mean? So we have we've to go to Kinney and go to Dublin. Obviously, we've Wexford coming to town. So this year is is, is a tough one. Going to Doner Park is tricky, and that'll that's when I really know where where Galway are. at, do you know what I mean? If we can go in and put a good performance there, and then it becomes judgment call, job, personal you know opinions on on where you envisage a team going. Do you know what I mean? Not where they are mm. now. I know I've one eye last year. Don't get me wrong, but I'm pointing to where I envisage. I envisage Cork. Possibly getting better. That's so I swapped two and two and three in your rankings. I swapped three and four, or sorry, four and five. Excuse me. And I, I swapped six and seven. You know, for where the the potential they show and where I think they might get at.
1: Murph, what's your argument for having Cork ahead of Clare? Is that largely what we've seen so far, or mm. do you think Clare's position was inflated last year? Give me your argument for putting them ahead of them. Um, I, look, I suppose it, it's it's the
0: fine margins scale is talking about there. If Clare. Lost to Kikini by a point in the semi-final last year. Um, I'd still probably have them where they are. But I'm just giving a bit of credit to Cork where they are at the moment. You know, they put in two really good performances. Um, and I know we're trying to balance this out with being, you know, from last year and currently on team's performances. But just, you know, Cork are tipping along very nicely at the moment. And with lots of those teams, like, again, even tipping Waterford there, fine margins, again, you know, tip, tipping along nicely there as well. No pun intended, but... It's, you know, there's lots, you could move that around quite a bit there, like, you know, so I just said for a bit of movement there, I liked what Cork are doing, um, and I think maybe the fact that we've been a bit hard on Cork over the last while, maybe not, but um, maybe I'm just feeling a bit softer now this evening I said I'd move Cork up that small bit, but I think the player fans might uh, might have something to say about that.
2: Yeah, wh- why, is it, why is it when I meet someone from Cork, do you head Cork? Well, you're wearing a Cork top there uh, tonight so, so I, like I mean Well I meet someone from Clare JCP Clare? <laughs> I, I don't I just.
1: Right hold on now <laughs> I, I had to take all the crap for both of you when Cork were playing Waterford in the league final last year so I was covering a match for OTB went down to the pitch to uh, chat to the down and Westmead management after the Division 2A final. I was coming back up and I bumped into multiple Cork fans who were giving out about both of you being unfair on Cork. <laughs> and one guy even said, you're the only person on that podcast who's fair about Cork. And I'm like, I didn't actually say all that much about Cork, but maybe that's enough. Um, yeah, the Clare fans gave you a bit of, bit of slack last year, Skel, didn't they, when their tails were up in the Munster Championship?
2: Joe no why, because they didn't put Tony Kelly in the top five at the time.
1: Yeah, that was a
0: that, that, was, was, a great that was that was ridiculous. But
2: I told you why I didn't put him in there, did I?
0: <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't make it right though. Like he didn't tell us why. Well, I
2: completely forgot about him. That's how
0: I think. I think, <laughs> I think it's Kelly. You just have a rough quality about you. you just, but even when you're being, you're complimenting teams, it just sounds like you're being negative. I
1: think
2: that's what it is. Like, I'm not sure Yeah, I'm, you, you sound like my wife. You, know you do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, I'm going to be murdered for how far we've gone over time here, but I'll throw out one more question to you, which has come in from Evan Hearn, because Evan sends in messages most weeks uh, with questions. So he has asked, are Robbie O'Flynn, Donald Burke and Jason Ford the three most underrated hurlers in Ireland? Paul, I don't know. I, I, like. Does anyone underrated. underrate Donald Burke and Jason Ford especially? Like Robbie O'Flynn obviously is very much coming to the fore the last couple of years for Cork, but is there an argument to say these are three guys that should be rated higher?
0: Uh, no, I would have thought they're actually getting good credit at the moment for where they are. Like the good players, Donald Burke is probably you know Dublin's main player. He's the poster player really at the moment. Um, the rest of the lads, I think, they get good credit. I do understand what he's saying. Like you know, um, like maybe on these days they're they're exceptional players on their day. But I suppose these players that get savage credit for consistently going out week on week, um, I think they get the deserve credit that they get. I mean, they're great players. Um, maybe just I suppose what he's touching on there is that he's felt they've been hard on over the years but I just think they've, they're have excellent players I think they get the credit I think that's well known how good they are so I think there's other players out there that probably would be more deserving of uh, being underrated than those right, three
1: who deserves the underrated tag here then you can give me one each or how's about that
0: <clears throat> underrated player do you want
1: schedule ready to go he doesn't
2: I don't I'm thinking hard now I was I was sure
1: him. the magic notebook would have something written in there.
2: I think of an underrated player at the moment. Um, you see, yeah. when you think about top rated you it comes to it straight away. You, you go Tony Kelly, you go Keen Lynch, you go Tjaderit, easy. So when you say underrated, underrated in comparison to who? So, see, like, if if rated, I think
1: if, I think on Evans' argument here, maybe you'd say right that Jason Ford is possibly underrated because we all talk about Callinan as opposed to talking yeah. about him. And in Donald Burke's case, maybe before we used to talk about Crummy or. We would talk about, say, one of their teammates a little bit more than them. Um, in Robbie O'Flynn's case, maybe we talk about Hoagie or we talk about... Actually, on a total side, did you see Patrick Corgan's uh, tweet about the, uh, the Super Bowl last night, which I thought was quite funny. He was of saying course. they're going to have to make the ball yellow in the Super Bowl next yeah, year or we course. won't be able to see it. That is a man who is on a determined campaign to make Get sure that the slitter is <laughs> Before he goes <laughs> top scorer in Championship history, he is going to make sure that the uh, yellow green slitter is gone.
0: He doesn't do it often, but when he does, it's it's usually about a yellow ball. That's
2: to be oh, fair to him.
1: Bloody hell! That's, uh, he's not going to let it go sure Yeah, I've Go on,
2: I think Ivor Quilligan's underrated. Had a good fair save Wally. at the weekend as well. Yeah, yeah. I think he's underrated. Well, what are what are his best assets as a
1: goalkeeper? Then, if you're going to say he's underrated, so his
2: striking abilities class. So he's, a, he's a, he, he can go both he can go all ranges. He can go long, long. They can strike to the far twenty one nearly, and he's a good range for short trajectory. And he, he makes good decisions. His shot stopping is very good, and his handling is excellent. He made one error against Tipperary the year before last, below on Thurles, which kind of people have associated with him for a while now. And it's like you know everybody makes an error. They all make them. You know, Cummins Murphy all made the errors, which is some the public sometimes have a habit of you know, assign that error to the goalie more, more than they should, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I think he's he's crucial to clear. If you don't have him and his range of the 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 tools at his locker clear clear and at the same team to be honest. So that's that's my pick. That's not a bad one in fairness. I'm happy with that. See I the,
0: the, 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 <laughs> so think there is like a few years ago if you if you asked that the like players would people would have uh Said that Kevin Moore is underrated, but he would have been the type of player that I think any team in the country would have taken. Like he's, a, it was an exception player. So every so often there's these players that just seem to be like putting in these unbelievable performances, and not getting the credit. But at the moment, to be fair, you know, with the coverage there is, I don't think there's too many players that are slipping under the radar like that that are really yeah, underrated. Think, you know,
2: I would have always said Keiren Joyce McInnay was mm. always one that you know he 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 didn't he never let's say caught the the, the line right to the McInnay backs obviously because who was around him you know, but he was he was underrated. Um, Mm.
1: About three years ago, I would have said Tommy Doyle from Westmeath. But the problem is now that everyone talks about how underrated Tommy Doyle is, that Tommy (laughs) Doyle is now rated as a result of being underrated for too long. Um, So therefore he comes up in these conversations. But I I think genuinely if there was a transfer system uh, within GAA and he could move to a stronger county, Loads of teams would love to transfer him in And have him as their fullback
0: Do you know who's a good player as well? Paddy Burke of Antrim He's put in some savage performances There's a player now as well And maybe it's not so much underrated Just under the radar there In that maybe not getting the coverage As much as other players But he's another player that From what I see of him a cornerback Popped up with another point at the weekend um, Great, great against score Because he score, he, he, yeah.
1: he could easily have just gone Right, that's enough i passed the ball forward He made another run for his team yeah, right? yeah. And then a good finish as well and he scores.
0: He scored two points against Kenny. He made three or four runs up the pitch anyway, driving it on. But there's another player in the in the vein of Tommy Doyle that you know just consistently puts in good performances. And I wouldn't say underrated, but just like I said, maybe just doesn't get to perform on the big days that all other players
1: do. I love that uh, we had a goalkeeper and a cornerback that were picked as uh, the players who are underrated. <laughs> very so fair.
2: <laughs> very, very fair. You? You, you pick where you're rated. That's your our natural is. instinct,
0: and in that's why you we're know. underrated. Uh, Free takers—they're not underrated, you uh-huh. know.
1: 100% Well look Next week we have uh, A bit of a break week We still of a pod And we can look forward To the games Which are coming up The week afterwards And uh, by all means Keep the questions coming in We'll flick up a story On Instagram Probably on Saturday Of next week uh, Which is now my day off So it's the perfect time For me to stick it up um, We'll take your questions And we'll have a chat Through them And also if you have Any other uh, questions Or comments you want to get in Stick them in the YouTube It's live every Monday At 10pm now On Off The Ball Social channels And the podcast Should be up Right now, uh, future Will is about to edit the podcast. it will be up around about 7pm this Monday because of how long we've talked for. But lads, it's been a pleasure as always and uh, we'll talk to you for episode three next week.
2: Thanks very much, lads. No worries.